Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another great edition of Cowboys of the Osage from right here in the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum in Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's old Cody over here, and as always, I have my co-host, rodeo historian, Mr. Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, what do we got going on today? Hey, Cody, it's just another great day in the Osage, man. And we've got a real special guest today. He was absolutely one of the great steer ropers of his day. In 1964, he graduated from high school in May, joined the RCA, and a month and a half later won Cheyenne. Still one of the youngest guys to ever win it. And uh, he went on to place and win most of any rodeo all over the country. He uh, made the national finals five times uh, with finishing the top five in the world four times at least. He won the average at the national finals in 1966, won second two different times at the, in the finals. He won the Ben Johnson. He did just about everything you could do in steer roping. And then when he retired, he was a rodeo judge for 30 years. So uh, we sure got a lot to talk about. And I'm talking about Kelly Corbin. Kelly, nice to have you today. Thank you, Jimbo. Cody. Thanks for coming in, Kelly. We sure appreciate it. You bet. It's a pleasure to be here. One of my heroes right here, Jimbo. Absolutely. One of my heroes. I get a little closer to your mouth right there, Kelly, so everybody can hear you real good and clear. Okay. Because we want everyone to hear what you have to say. Kelly, before you graduated high school, what got you interested in the uh, the game of roping, the game of rodeo over there? Uh, principally my father. He was one of those people that... Uh, Always loved roping, loved horses his whole life. But he was raised a poor boy type, you know, quit school in the eighth grade, had to leave home because number of kids. And he had to work to get everything he had and wasn't able to rope when, you know, he should have. And uh, I guess he was kind of reliving it through me uh, in a way. And so... He, First horse after I got through the Shetland phase, well, first horse I had was his old calf horse, and uh, I learned to rope on him. He was the first horse I roped off of, and I roped some Angora goats. A friend of ours had a bunch of Angora goats, and I'd go over there and rope them with him, breakaway and stuff. And uh, that's that's how I got started. They were always big fans of rodeo and roping. Uh, we'd go to all the rodeos within 200 miles of over there, you know, went to McAllister from the 50s, uh, you know, with them that I can remember. And Tulsa, uh, John Lee Wills Stampede, Claremore, Vanita, Lenapaw, Chelsea, Oklahoma had a rodeo they called the uh, Bob Crosby Memorial Forever. And go there, Copan, anywhere there was a rodeo around there, even Timber Hill, which is up there south of Coffeyville in the sticks. <laughs> that Bob Crosby Memorial, that's a little ways from Bob Crosby's home territory. Yes, it is. Well, I, and I, I don't know why they named it after him, but it was always called. Chelsea had a, a large roundup club and had a big dance hall on the same grounds with it. And they had a large arena, which most all the arenas back then were large. And 
they always had uh, the Bob Crosby Memorial and the amateur stair roping there. And, you know, that was just an annual trip. You'd go over there every night of the rodeo. Did you ever go to the Dewey Roundup? No, that, that was before my time. Okay. But I've heard worlds of stories about it and lots of pictures of it. Where were you raised at up over there, Kelly? Delaware, Oklahoma. Actually, where we lived was uh, a mile and a half north of Delaware and then south of Lenapaw, about three miles. And that's that's north of Nowata on 169 for people that don't know, between Coffeyville, Kansas, and Nowata. That's a pretty dense country for great rodeo cowboys. There's a lot of them that came from there. Some of the best came from there, I think, that uh, the game of steer roping was changed right in that area, you know. Started modernizing all the way through these times right now a little bit from, <laughs> from that country. Even Everett Shaw was born over there not too far from. Yeah. He's over there on Hawkshooter Creek where he was yeah, born. Yeah, around Nowata. Yeah, so that was pretty good steer roping country. You had, if you look back in history, you know, you had Fred Lowry and yes. his brother, Glenn. Moved there, you know, kind of during the Depression with the cattle. And Fred was uh, a great roper, won lots of championships, and and knew horses, was a good horseman. And Shote and Everett, in their younger days, learned right there from Fred, and it just progressed. And Fred the, seemed to be a great teacher. Yes, he was. And, I mean, you know, Everett, I, <clears throat> Everett was kind of my mentor, so I got a lot of information from him. And he would talk a lot about Lowry, you know. And, you know, Lowry just basically had him in the latter years before he left. He was just riding horses. You know, Lowry would go buy, you know, like peanuts and popcorn. Mm-hmm. Lowry bought them and brought them there, and, and uh, Everett would rope on them. And then Lowry had come down, ride them a little bit, you know, but ever principally, you know, roped on them all the time. Hey, can can you fill in everybody that's listening to this, whoever it is? I know whoever it is. Everett Shaw. Jimbo knows who it is. Everett but Shaw. Everett Shaw. He, Tell us a little bit about him and what kind of guy he was. He's a great guy. Very, he's a gentleman. Uh he had uh, studied the sport so much that he could explain every reason that you would do a certain step in roping. And, I mean, you know, from, from st- you, which string to use, your steps, he'd say, well, you wasted the step there. And <clears throat> he kind of instilled the philosophy. It's his philosophy, but it was instilled in me that uh, – you don't beat yourself. You you go make a run, and then they've got to beat you. But if you push yourself and cause yourself to fumble or make a mistake, then you've let them beat you know. And I mean, he just had a lot of things. He had <clears throat> he had no horse. He roped in the Boston Garden and the Madison Square Garden. He roped calves, and he had come back and built a stave arena, you know, like old cedar posts around, the same size as one of those 
arenas there at the gardens. And he had no horse they called Posey. Not this way for my time, but he told me all about it. And the arena was still there. And he'd leave the neck rope way low on Posey. And back then they roped big old calves. You couldn't hold them. And they'd run up the rope on you. And he had that neck rope down along that horse's shoulder so he could turn and run. Take, keep slack out of the rope because he couldn't back up fast enough. And he built that arena that way to work that horse. He'd get a calf in there and work him and train him. And he mounted a lot of people on that horse. You and might add that they, they couldn't jerk them down at New York. You know, and they would come back. You know, all you could do is turn them around, and they, they'd meet you up the rope, wouldn't they? Yeah. That's what he told me. Yeah, that's what I always heard. And you'd see the pictures of them. Some of them would have horn nubbins about oh, an inch and a half, mm-hmm. two inches long. Jim roped one. He, he drew one, a heifer calf that they hadn't had any luck on at all, and she had enough horns. He, he told some people, so I'm going to try to rope her around the horns if I can where he could handle her, and he placed them around on her. Okay. You know? So that's the kind of calves they roped. But, you know, Everett, <clears throat> Everett taught you the very fundamentals and, like, we get ready like when I went to Cheyenne in 64. Well, we roped there. I went and stayed with Everett for several years during the summer when I wasn't in school. And we'd get up of the morning, be at the roping pen at 7 o'clock, 7.30, and rope till about 10 o'clock, 10.30, till it started getting warm. And we'd go to the house. Hold, his arena wasn't at his house. He lived in town, so we'd load the horses in his old trailer, drive down there, uh, rope, and then we'd trailer back to the house, unsaddle the horses, put uh, liniment on their backs, and rub them down, go in. Now his wife would make us lunch, dinner, and we'd eat and then take a little nap in after lunch, dinner, and then long about four or five o'clock we'd go back do the same thing again that was every day seven days a week if if you weren't going to a roping sounds a lot like growing up at my house yeah <laughs> you know uh he just everything you did you you had a reason for you know in the in the event or the run and i know getting ready for cheyenne he had no slow steer like used to you get those corrientes and You'd always have one that's kind of doggy, would never run much. Well, you'd just save him back. And when we was getting ready to go Cheyenne that year, he'd draw a line out there 30 feet, and you'd sit in the box and let that steer get that far and then just run up there, make sure your horse rated back. You prepared everything for that, like they do now for the finals. Those guys go home, have an arena built, the size of the finals and try to reproduce exactly what they're going to compete on. I was fixing to say the first time I ever heard of anybody doing something like this was Speed and Rich. They built an arena, the exact dimensions of the Thomas and Mac, but come to find out Everett Shaw was way ahead of them, 60 years ahead of them because uh, he built an arena, the size of Madison square garden and some of those indoor arenas back East come to find out so that's a that's a real interesting story right there i thought that speed and rich had actually invented doing mm-hmm. that the way they put it up to everybody but uh ever did it ever had a lot of uh he must have been a good teacher too because his son-in-law 
Sonny Whirl. Sonny Whirl was also a world champion. Yes. And his grandson, Neil Whirl, national finals average winner, won Pendleton Roundup, made the finals five or six times Mm -hmm. at least. Yeah. He must have been a real teacher. He's he a good. He's a good horseman too. I mean, he. Uh, <clears throat> there's lots of people, even even ropers, that sent their horses to him, to have him ride them. You know, and uh, uh, I was privileged to ride several horses that he had. After I started riding heel fly, well, uh, he had a horse called Nine Bar Buck that he rode, that belonged to a gentleman in uh, KC, Wyoming, whose son is now the governor of Wyoming. Crow Gordon wow. is uh, the gentleman that owned the horse. And he come from the Triangles, and he was a Buck Hancock horse. And, boy, he is as nice to rope off of as Mulefly was. Mm-hmm. And Everett rode him at the final. There's a picture of him on him at the finals there one year. But uh, that horse was an excellent horse. And then... The Pelican horse that Clark McIntyre won a lot of money on, kind of a, had white up his hawk and everything. Uh, Everett trained that horse. And in fact, Clark bought him off of Everett. He got him from the Gill Ranch. And, uh, oh, uh, Randy Moore. There's a black horse that Randy Moore had. Everett trained that horse and Olin wound up riding him quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he over the years he trained a lot of good horses. That year you graduated high school and won Cheyenne. What horse were you riding that year, Kelly? Heel fly. Tell us that about Heel Fly. That's one of the most famous horses to ever live. Tell us about him. Um uh, my dad was at Laramie, Wyoming, and he was kind of looking for a steer horse. Uh, he just kind of, he just liked good horses, okay? And this was 59, and he was up there, and he was talking to Waldo Haythorn. They were sitting along the fence. And Waldo told him he, Ike was there riding heel fly, and uh, Ike rude. Okay. And Waldo says, you need to buy that horse. And my dad said something about it, and Waldo said, he's... He's a good horse. And what I could done, he'd go up there and rope with Waldo, and Waldo had roped a lot off this horse. And so he knew how good he was. And so my dad gave $3,000 for him at that time. That was a lot of money back in 59. And uh, then along later after that, I think about after Cheyenne, well, my dad, I mean, Everett approached my dad about, Riding hill fly, he was riding old peanuts, which is an old Joe Hancock, Roan Hancock horse that Everett had rode, his half brother to Popcorn uh-huh. that, that showed it. Rode. For sure, and uh, peanuts was twenty years old and kind of quitting, and so he approached my dad. So my dad made a deal with him to enter him and mount him, you know, and so. He took him that fall, kept him all winter, you know, changed a few things on him. Yes, sir. Uh, and then went to roping on him after that. I guess 60 would have been the first year he started. 
he he wrote him at the finals in 59 the second day peanuts had kind of played out on him in 59 that first final and there, there was i've got a picture of him on he'll fly and the wind blowing hard it's got his tail blown out almost straight you know and shawl's all bundled up my yeah. folks went out there they come back telling me all the horror stories about right. how cold it was yeah i stayed home you know i was still going to school i i did go in uh 63 when I was senior in high school, uh, just starting my year, well, none of those rodeos at that time would take permits, except Pendleton. Pendleton would take permits. So I entered Pendleton and went up there, 17 years old, getting ready to start, draw up first in the slack, never been there in my life, and you know the start. Yes. And, but I had Everett and Clark, and everybody was on the back of the chute there telling me when to go, you know. But that was my first one to, to go to. There weren't any amateur rodeos to steer opens to go to back then, Harley was there, Kelly? No, not a whole lot. Uh, around in our country, there was, uh, like I said, the, the Bob Crosby at mm-hmm. Chelsea. And uh, Copan had... Uh, amateur steer roping a couple of times. Um, there just really wasn't a whole lot. I went to one when I was 17 uh, down there at Stringtown. And it was an all-black rodeo. And the old bronc rider that uh, rode saddle broncs, black cowboy, he, he was the star there. But they had a, a seg- integrated steer roping along with the black rodeo. Oh wow! And so, me, Harry Straw, which is Justin McKee's father-in-law, and uh, uh, we went down there to it. We stayed at McIntyre's, you know, uh, down there. And oh, Henry Prather, uh, John Prather's dad, Charlie Whitehorn from here in Paul Huska, he was there. Uh, Elmer Jones, Snoop Jones' mm-hmm. son, he was there. Uh, there was quite a few, and there there was a little patch of steer ropers, amateur from down there around McAllister, down in that area. Uh, J.D. Fulkerson, which was an old roper and stuff. Anyway, we, we went down there, but that was about all you got to go to unless you went to a jackpot or something. That first time you went to Pendleton on your permit, how'd you get along up there? I got them tied down, but I didn't do anything. I didn't win anything. What, for everybody that hadn't been to Pendleton before, what makes it different than your average rodeo, Kelly? Well, you're, they, at that time, they had no snow fence, which was uh, just wooden stays braided into a fence, and they would bring it across the racetrack down to the grassy area infield. And that's where your barrier would be at. So you got about 30, 40 feet there. And um, at that time, they hand-pulled the barrier. So the guy would be down there. But they'd bring the cattle back behind you down, down below the crest of the track under the, under the stands. There's pins down there. And they didn't even draw them. They just loaded them. And they'd say, bring shoot three or bring, and so they just randomly, and they'd tell you, 
he's coming, and when he goes by, they're driving him just as fast as they can push him. And so he's running when he goes by you sitting there. And it's a completely different scoring pattern than sitting in a box and him to shoot in front of you. And you come down off that hill, when you hit the barrier, you're at full tilt. I mean, you're you're going pretty good. You don't see too many people pull at the barrier there. No, no. For sure. No. It's, a, it's a blink of an eye. You'll just catch a little glimpse of them out of the corner of your eye, Jimbo, and then all of a sudden they're out in front of you in this little lane mm-hmm. and there's a guy on another horse chasing them, uh, making sure they go. And and when you go, you go. You just mm-hmm. drop and, and go. Mm-hmm. It's really something else. They, back then, I don't know how it is now, but they kind of just had uh, – local committee men or so driving them mm-hmm. across there and they're buckaroo types mm-hmm. you know got the horsehair tassels under the mm-hmm. girt and some of them had little bells you know like a sheep bell under the girt and stuff with well, them old horses that get a little hot and they get a little change and he might be running out there with you for a ways before he gets him <laughs> Pulled up or turned off. Yeah. Joe know? said, "If it depend on if you got an old one or a young one, you know, the old one would bring him a little slower, and the young one right. would really be hauling." They'd be, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. When you lay a steer down out there, did you ever have them slide away from you like they were a the kind of hydroplane? And then when your horse stopped, they go up, slide right. up the rope, slide up and leave the rope. slack in your rope. If your mm-hmm. horse stopped too quick, uh-huh. you know, yeah. Those no. nylons would do that anyway, Cody. You know, sometimes they'd kind of hang up, and, and then that stretch would come at them, and here come that steer, you know, just a sliding. I can only imagine what they'd have been like up yep. there when, when you were using them. Yeah. So you, uh, your dad bought Hill Fly in 59. Was it always accepted you were going to take over and ride him, or was he just bought him because he liked good horses? Uh, he bought him because he liked good horses. I mean, I don't know what he had Yeah. in my, in my mind. I'd... I yeah. wasn't in mine, right? You know, right. But uh, he just liked good horses. Mm-hmm. He bought a calf horse for me that Don McLaughlin had had uh, along just before that, and uh, you know, I I was roping calves. I wasn't thinking about roping steers, and and then I got to going down there and staying with Everett, mm-hmm. and I'd even. Everett used to have Everett couldn't drive very good. I don't know if it was his eyesight or what, but all them old steer ropers can't drive very good. <laughs> don't seem like. Well, anyway, uh, I got to be his driver, and I wasn't but about thirteen or fourteen, and we'd get off up there in Kansas and Nebraska. Would you know you wouldn't see anybody, and so I'd drive most of the time. And Everett was asleep one time, and he woke up and he said. Where are we at? I said, we're in Denver. And I mean, we were in downtown Denver. He said, pull over. You better let me drive now. <laughs> you know, but that, uh, and, and it was real rewarding. We stayed, you know, like Carl Sawyer's when yeah. we were up there. And you'd go up there and you'd stay with like Carl Sawyer or Haythorns or, or people like that. And uh, you'd go to, a jackpot or a rodeo over the weekend and come back and stay there. Joe, who you've had on here, uh, he and I would rope there at Carl. Carl had lights. He had a fleet of cattle trucks they called stock liners, Sawyer stock liners. And um, 
he had lights on his arena and is real sandy. And we'd rope 10, 12 o'clock at night, get a steer down and tie. Joe and I was tied a lot together back there. And uh, during the day, you'd kind of just lay around or go downtown. There's, there was an old gentleman named Doc Haverly that had a bar there in, in Torrington. And he liked to rope. And he, we'd go down there, go to Doc's bar, talk to him. There's a pool hall just down from it. And Joe would go in there and play pool. He liked to play pool. First memory I have of of uh, Jimbo's grandpa and, and Joe and Jimbo's dad uh, was at Cheyenne. I was pretty young. We staying at the o. Edwards Hotel. And down the street, on the main street, was a pool hall. And went down there, and Joe and your dad was shooting pool, or snooker, mm-hmm. I don't remember which. And your grandpa's, they had benches like church pews along the side. Well, he was up in one, but he wasn't sitting down on it. Right. He was up there on his haunches. Yeah, just you know. like the way he used to sit. Yeah, yeah. and smoking them old rolling cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carl Sawyer, Cody, uh, he was a heck of a nice guy and rope steers, you know, pretty good. Held the himself. world's record for a yeah, while. Yeah, for a long time. But he entered Joe. That was his horse that Joe rode there in the early 60s, that Charles horse that they called Jim. old Jim. Okay. And Carl entered Joe and furnished the horse. and He was a good friend for sure. We got to go all the way back to that first time you went to Cheyenne, Kelly. Yes, sir. So you graduate high school. You're a full-fledged member by this time. Yes, sir. How'd you get up there? Uh, I had a, let's see, I believe at that time I had a pickup, a Ford pickup with a little shell camper on the back and a two-horse trailer. Drove myself up there and uh, roped in the roping. How did they do it but back I, then? I, I was around Everett and all of them. See, Merle Davis and Frank Braden, they used every year they were up there and they pitched camp right there on the grounds next to one of those horse barns. Okay. Kind of like. Uh, uh, Jake was telling you that okay. they stayed in the stalls. Yes, sir. Well, they had a camp, and they the women would have them dinner every day and supper there and everything. And so it was just kind of like you moved up in your same neighborhood. You knew everybody there, you know. So I was up there and, and roped, and, and every, of course, you know, I was fortunate. I had all those people around me kind of coaching me and stuff. And to me, it's just another – Roping. What was the format up there in those days? You you rope two rounds and then you got one on Sunday. The short round on Sunday. Yeah. When did you know you were gonna come back sitting good in the short round? How early in the week? <clears throat> you know, I don't even remember. You don't remember? No. Well, I just know they told me said, "Oh, you get to rope Sunday." And I said, "Okay." You know. <laughs> Was your, I, I wasn't checking the time. I guess your dad was there, though, right? No. Oh, he wasn't even there when no. you won Cheyenne? No. I'll be darned. I was Him wondering if mom, everybody drove nobody up. Nobody was. Yeah. Well, I bet he was, couldn't have been any happier, though. Oh, no. No. Him and your mom both. Yeah. What was it like to win Cheyenne back in those days? It was great. It was great. Went over, 
they, <clears throat> I went and made my run, come back, and loosen an old heel fly up and everything. And Dale Smith and Dale would old heel fly a time or two at some of those rodeos. He come over and congratulating me. Everybody's coming over. I didn't know what they's congratulating me for. You know, I didn't. I didn't. <clears throat> be honest, I didn't realize I'd won it. And so they said, they want you over in front of the grandstand. You know, uh, we'll take care of your horse. We'll get him back over at the barn. Everything. So went over in front of the grandstand, and of course you had to get up, say something. You know, to the crowd. And then they had a big group picture, and I've I had a copy of it at one time, but um, I don't know where it went. But it had all the winners back then. Bill Cornell won uh, bull riding. I remember that, and I was in steer roping and everything. But I mean, it was it was a big deal. But I mean, I just didn't really realize that <clears throat> I was just going and roping, you know. What everybody think about it when you got home? Oh, is of course my dad had told everybody, and I guess he'd made the rounds of all the uh, restaurants and barber shops. Sure. And that's big news. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know <clears throat> they were they were all of course when I come back, uh, it was towards the fall. Okay, and I started OSU then, so I, I really wasn't around home, but. That was when. Uh, Can you imagine going to OSU and you just won Cheyenne a few days ago? I know. Wow, <laughs> that'd been a good time. Yep. In life, I imagine. Yeah. That's when we took that picture that you always asked me about. Oh yeah. And I want to get around to that in a minute. <clears throat> okay. I won't. I won't. Well, you, you were so young, you probably didn't appreciate it like you would have later no, on. You know. No, you don't. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't. Right. Let's get to that picture, Jimbo. Okay. Did you know <laughs> Kelly Corbin's in one of the most famous rodeo pictures of all time? I've seen it. You know, there's all these Facebook groups, uh, rodeo rigs, old mm, and new, right. and this and that. But uh, Kelly is standing in front of a car with an inline trailer attached to it, and, you know, it's a... Uh, Everybody knows it is one of the, the coolest rodeo pictures of all time. Tell us about that picture and that day that they took the picture, Kelly. Well, we were up there at Pendleton after I'd won Cheyenne. <clears throat> and there was all kinds of talk. You know, I was a rookie. And was I going to win Rookie of the Year and, and all of that. And Jim Stout, who was editor of the Sports News at that time, and... Uh, um, Oh, I can't think of the other gentleman's name right now. With the RCA, uh, they said uh, was talking about it. Well, Everett <clears throat> had a picture of an old rig, kind of like some of those you've seen, you know, with an old '30s car mm-hmm. in front of a homemade trailer and horse in it. And they said uh, we need to do one, put it in sports news. Dave talked about it, uh, and these were good guys. I mean, they were just down to earth cowboy type people and said we need to do a comparison today to now well i just won cheyenne 18 years old so they thought well i'd be a good you know sample for the young star modern modern day so we go out there to the parking lot at uh, pendleton and sonny davis had just got a brand new inline gray and for anybody that doesn't know gray Trailers used to be the trailer maker 
at that time, and they were out of Angelo, Texas. And all the ropers pulled grays back then. And uh, so he had just bought a brand-new gray trailer inline. And looking over there, and Bob Moore, who's from Midwest Wyoming, steer roper up in that country and a big sheep raiser and cattle raiser, he had a uh, Chrysler Imperial, which that'd be equivalent to your Cadillac DeVille, you know, and brand new one sitting there. So we got over there and pushed uh, Sonny's inline up behind Bob Moore's Chrysler Imperial, and they took my picture. And so when I went to, that funny part, when I went to uh, OSU after Pendleton, and they had publicized that, everybody kept asking me, well, where's your car? You know, because I was just driving an old pickup. <laughs> All them girls at OSU wouldn't know where your car was, Kelly. Well, I'm disappointed because I always looked at that picture. I thought, boy, Kelly had a pretty nice rig back then, you know. <laughs> you know, the first time I saw that picture, I don't know, it was 25 or 25 years ago or, or a little longer when I was on my rookie year or permit year, they had just added this rodeo in Grover, Colorado. And if you're not f- familiar with Grover, Colorado, you got to take several mi- 20, 30 miles of dirt road to get to this place. And then the only paved road in Grover is, is a hundred yard stretch of main street right there. Well, anyway, in that program, they had that picture because I guess you were a former Grover, Colorado <laughs> winner, and they had that picture of Kelly, and it always stuck in my mind how cool of a picture that was. And I, I knew Kelly, and I knew he was a flagman at that time, and I, it, it always just stuck in my mind at that point. And, uh, you know, we're going to throw that picture up here right on the screen for right. everyone to see so they can see just how cool it was. It, it was in one of the rodeo annuals. I've got the picture in one of the rodeo annuals, yeah. maybe 65 or you know, but I've got it. Well, it's it's such a cool picture. Oh, yeah. 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 Everybody to this day that sees that picture right. loves that picture, Kelly. So, yeah. I don't know. That's pretty cool to be in one of the most famous rodeo <laughs> pictures of all time that don't involve a rodeo event, you know, because right. right. it's a very recognizable picture. Um, so, that, that year you made the finals, obviously, when Cheyenne, and the finals happened to be at Pusca that year. How'd that go? 64. <sighs> You know, that picture is just as famous as this picture right here. Oh, yeah, probably is. Behind I think you, I ran, uh, I think I two-looped one or two, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't really have a good final um, that year. Right. Um, but I, I, uh, I'll tell you kind of the funny part. Uh, my dad had tried to get me into Ben Johnson the year before. I mean, 464. Right. To rope in, you know, June. Uh-huh. Right. Well, they wouldn't let me in. And they had asked another uh, great roper mm-hmm. about me. And he said, I said, he nobody buy him in the Calcutta and, you know, and he don't rope that good. And mm-hmm. then I went on Cheyenne and I wound up coming back here in the fall roping in the finals. Yeah. And, so he got kind of, he got egg on his face a yeah, little bit, yeah. you know. I'm glad you proved him wrong, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. So did you did you get a rope in the Ben Johnson that next year yes, or not? Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How did you fare there that year? The, that the year you year, won it. I think I won second, didn't I, Jimbo? Second or third, and then 66, 66 when you yeah. won it. Yeah. You know, this is such a 
historied roping right here in town, the Ben Johnson. Let's talk about that for just a minute. In your opinion, what makes this roping a little bit different than your average roping? Kind of like the same thing. It separates Cheyenne and Pendleton from everybody else. It's the size of the arena and the score. And they used to always rope big cattle here, which that's, you know, they don't rope big cattle anywhere anymore. But uh, I'm going to say the size and the score, and you roped four head. One time they roped five. Yeah. And uh, uh, if, if you go back in history, uh, a lot of those ropings back then, it was catch as catch can. You didn't have to rope them around the horns. And it trip them till you get them down. Yeah. And then it just kept getting more refined, more refined. But I, I just think it was uh, the arena dimensions and the score line and the cattle that makes it different. You know what always stood apart to me on the Ben Johnson, and I wasn't going to it back in those days, but I went to it quite a bit. I don't know. I'm going to guess from 1980 to present day almost yeah i've been to the majority of them since then and uh what always caught my attention for a long score in a big arena they always used running start steers for the most part very few times did i see walking fresh steers here at the ben johnson so it's kind of a little more of a cowboy's rope and i feel like because you were really motivating by the time <laughs> by the time you caught up with your steer Fucking and shoes. the and the boxes were a little deeper here. Um, mm-hmm. Back in the day, I remember it had chain link fence all the way around the top, and it kind of felt you. They were long and deep, but narrow and kind of in, enclosed, and there would be people mm-hmm. all the way around the, mm-hmm. the top of you right there. Right. Yep. So I don't know. That's what kind of set it apart for me. I know they wrote fresh deers there a couple of times, but to my memory, they always uh, asked for a running start steer. Is that right or wrong? You're right. Uh, most most of those, when I was a kid, we'd go to those. Uh, I don't care whether it was Vanita, uh, Claremore, McAllister, here. They'd always run the cattle through a couple of times, and the ropers would all be there and run them through breakaway the day before the rope. And so you very hardly ever got one had never been run before. Now, Cheyenne, <clears throat> they just kind of drifted them through, you know, but they didn't run them through. But they kind of, uh, it was just common practice. Yeah, I remember going roping on Fridays. Usually, you know, they'd run the cattle through, break away. You know, all your Calcutta buyers would go up there and sit and watch everybody run them through, and then they'd decide who was roping the best, <laughs> and then they'd go by them at the Calcutta. You know, we had Jake... Williams in here the other day, and he's a big Calcutta player, likes the Calcutta a lot, but he was, we were trying to put it in words for people. What, what do you think What do you think a Calcutta is? It's a side pot for individuals that's not roping to be able to enter by buying the roper that they choose. Okay. And, uh, you know, I may give $500 for somebody – that's a reputable roper and everybody else wants him, but I'm still entering, I'm entering through him in that pot. You're entering on a side pot, basically. Right. Um, 
so you can have a little more fun watching the roping. Yeah, I and hopefully you. win some money. You get down to Texas, especially down there at Angelo, it used to be just large, large side pot. I mean, you know, Calcutta. And those people down there just bet the farm sometimes. I think my dad told me one time he bought a fifth of himself or something there, and it cost him Mm $8,500, way more than – he said he won way more on his fifth of the Calcutta that time than he did on the roping when he won it. Uh Well, I know my – there was a guy from Justin, Texas named Buddy Hardiman who was a big Calcutta player, and he's a big gambler on anything. And he made his money in the railroad salvage business. If you had a train wreck, he'd come in and bid – for everything on the train wreck from the insurance company and then take it back there and and Justin and sell it. He had a grain elevator, a lumber yard, and a big warehouse full of everything from canned goods to clothing to appliances that would all come out of those train wrecks. And one year we was at Angelo, and this was in the 60s, and... My dad kind of, he liked to buy me, but he didn't have big pocket, you know. And so Buddy talked him into going partners with him. And Buddy did the bidding and, like, scared my dad to death. And he wouldn't tell me how much, you know, he was in for. And uh, because he never liked to put any pressure on me. And so I I didn't have a good roping, but I wound up, I think I placed – I uh, went out on the first steer, but then I placed on the next three. And uh, we got out of there with $1,500 to the good, and he said, I'll never get in that bind again. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of those days before, for right. more sure. Um, right. Well, Where I lost money, and I felt like I made money, actually. <laughs> Minimize your loss. Yes, 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 yes. What was it like to win the Ben Johnson here in 66? It was good. It was good. You know, you... Because uh, <clears throat> even, I mean, you were just about a hometown boy. I mean, even though you lived right. in Delaware, you know, but you married a Pusker girl and all that, you know, and you had a lot of family. I married there. her after that, but yeah. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't. But uh, we had furnished the cattle here when I was 16. Yeah, okay. Uh, Lee Holcomb and Wayland Smith Jr. were right. chairman, and my dad had bought 100 head of Corrientes, and anyway, we... We got the contract, furnished the cattle here, and I came over and stayed in the old Duncan Hotel. Yeah. I was caretaker of the steers over here. And uh, uh, so I've been around here, and we always – my dad was big friends with Orban. Mm-hmm. And, of course, your yeah, grandpa, right. you know. And he knew everybody over here, and we've been coming to this roping since in the – well, since they started yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I remember him and uh, – Clem McSpadden, Clem had a guy working for him named Bill Lawrence that had been raised up around Lowry's, mm-hmm. learned to rope steers around Lowry's and Schultz. And uh, my dad had an old bay horse that he'd bought off Churchill's in Angelo. And the old horse was a little chargy, and he had Bill riding him over there. At that time, he was working for Clem McSpadden on the ranch that he owned outside of Nowata. And so I, I just remember him talking about it. Clem hit my dad up and said, well, let's enter old Bill and that Ben Johnson. It was 500 back then. Mm-hmm. 
I want to say you'd have to go back and look up your yeah. records, but <clears throat> I think it was five hundred. The first ones till that fifty-seven when it was so wet, and so terrible, muddy, and, and people were wanting to back out, and they lowered it to three fifty or whatever it was in. Well, I know it cost my dad two fifty yeah. on Clem plate, two fifty, but it cost five hundred, and they entered him. You know, we was over here and everything. So I'd, I'd had long, long connection with the roping and the people over here and everything. There's a water there if you need it, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I, I never wouldn't pretend to say I knew your mom and dad very well, but I remember them quite well. And your dad was would have been hanging around the chute during the roping, but I remember exactly where your mom used to always sit up on the bleachers. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just see her. Usually had an umbrella yeah. and, and some kind of hat, bonnet type thing on her head, you know, and I, I can remember just as well. She always sat right in that same spot. I didn't know you were in the cattle business. How how uh, how long were you guys in the stock contractor business? Oh, we did that for a couple of years. Um, my dad, had, you know, go down there. And it got so hard to get some steers. He'd just go down by a whole load and then piecemeal them out. Gotcha. And we'd wind up with ours. And, you sort them down to where you like them and sell right. off the rest. Right. I got you. And he got that... <clears throat> contract for here and i want to say we furnished them for uh vanita that fall the same cattle they was pretty good size for them yeah i bet well they got a grand rodeo grounds over there at vanita mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of some of the old timies the way they're the way their <clears throat> grandstands and things right. like that are set up you don't see too many rodeo arenas like that anymore. No. No, that was that was it and Claremore were both Claremore used to be a lot bigger than what it is. They it modernized Claremore a lot more lot, than Benita, yeah. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. If anybody wants to kind of see how it used to be, I'd say go check out that arena at Benita or go check out the arena in Burwell. Those are some really, really grand old rodeo arenas. The grandstands are really cool. They oh. remind you of uh, something Buffalo Bill would have built or something like that. They're really, 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 really neat. My mother took me. We went on vacation. She went on vacation one time, and I was with her. And this would have been in the 50s, and we went to Burwell. She's a big fan. Mm-hmm. And we'd take a road trip, go up through Colorado. My dad always stay home, work, run the business. And we went to Burwell, and... You know, it impressed me back then. And uh, latter years, I got a job judging Burwell. And I went up there, and I, we got in there. Dixie and I got in there at uh, always like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and they'd had a night show or something. And I looked at it, and I said, it didn't change a bit. And it hadn't. No, it hasn't. It's a timeless place. Yes. I, feel, I feel like it's really it's, it's a preserved rodeo arena that there's none of them like it anymore. Mm-mm. Um, you know, Belfouche, South Dakota is kind of an old grandstand still in it, but you know, they've even rebuilt some grandstands down in Pecos. So I'd say Burwell, Burwell's a real treasure up there and, uh, it hadn't changed a whole lot. Kelly, did you ever get to know Ike Rude very well? Yes. I thought you did. Yes. What was he like? <clears throat> True cowboy. True. He did. That's all he ever wanted oh, to yeah. do. He, uh, he was a true rodeo cowboy on top of it. Yeah. You know, but on I top mean, of he, being a real cowboy. All he, all he ever wanted to do was cowboy or rope. And he always said, if you can't do it a horseback, I don't want to do it. 
He you know. grew up on the Matador Ranch up out yeah. there. Jim said he probably wrote more cattle than anybody at that time, you know, oh, period. He, you know, cause he, he just, just roped all the time, on the ranch, wherever, you know. He'd stay there. We had a bunkhouse, my folks did, there at the house. What was an old cement block building, and they went in, cleaned it all up, put a bed in there and everything. So, you know, if Everett or them was up there, we just had a two-bedroom house. Mm-hmm. And so they'd stay out there, and it stayed pretty cool. And uh, I could stay there five thirty in the morning. Hiya! And you'd hmm. hear that. He rope. went to bed early, didn't he? Yes. He went to bed with the chickens, and yeah. then he'd get up early. Is what oh, I always he'd heard. He'd be up daylight, yeah, or before, yeah. And you'd hear him roping them horns, and just crack, you know. And he just, just all the time. That's all he did. Uh, when my dad bought a heel fly. Ike had a full brother to him called Cheyenne that was black or brown. He's black in the winter, and he kind of browned out a little bit in the summer. Had the same streak on his face as Heelfly did, but he weighed probably 100 pounds lighter and was a nice horse, make an ideal calf horse. And so Ike, you know, after he had to let Heelfly go, well, he goes and gets old Cheyenne up. And he goes to riding him. Well, Vanita's that fall in August. And they're going to run the cattle through the night before. And Ike brings in Cheyenne there. Well, Cheyenne bucks with him on about five or six steers. So Ike knew I had those Angora goats at the house. You know, and I, I just, you know, like 13 years old, 12 or 13. He said, you still got them goats? I said, yeah. I had nine Angora weathers. He said, I'm coming home with you tonight. So he came over, and the next morning, he woke me up at 5 o'clock. And we went out there and pinned those goats, and we ran those goats through seven times that morning. And he is roping them with a knot like you'd not rope them or break away where he he wouldn't get off. Uh Go rope them. And then <clears throat> that evening, we got him up. He run him through seven times. We did that for like two or three days in a row. And, I mean, he'd track them. And the pen my folks had at the house was as big as Paul Huska's. Okay. And so, I mean, you, know, you could put a lot of miles on one. And he never got him too hot. You know, he never lathered him up or anything. But uh, I'll guarantee you, when he come back to run his steer at Vanita, that horse come out there and stuck his nose right at that steer's tail and tracked him. He did, as they old timers say, he tracked him through a knot hole. You know, uh, knot roping. A lot of people don't know what knot roping is, so I'm just gonna explain it to everybody that's listening real quick. So when you're roping, you you tie a knot in your rope, so your loop can't squeeze all the way down and and get tied around something's horns or neck. So it'll only close so far, and you'll spin the animal around, and it'll come off of their head because the, the rope never closes all the way. So that's what a knot rope is, and it also helps your horse um, just what just yeah. what Ike did with it. It does help a, a lot on a horse that's a little bit chargy and gets them to right, where you, right back to where you want them a lot of times. Right. I've rode some that it didn't do anything besides just <laughs> make them mad that I was not roping on them. So <laughs> it's happened. 
But that he was a good horse. They sold that horse to a guy named Charlie Moon, who was from New Mexico. And uh, Charlie had him the next year at Cheyenne. And at that time, they had a, oh, like a commissary pit tent out back in the parking lot. And they roped and went out there, and he was sitting there holding the bridle reins, and he had a heart attack and died. Horse did. A lot of horses have done that at Cheyenne. Yeah. Seems like. I wonder if it's the change in climate and the time of year or the change. The altitude. Don't know because I've I've been there since I was a kid and I've I remember specifically a lot of horses having a heart attack right there at Cheyenne, early morning slack or after the slack, you know, uh just having a heart attack and dying right there. Roy Duval sticks out in my mind. He had a mm-hmm. horse die of a heart attack right there. And yeah. a few others that I remember growing up. I've always wondered you know, we were at Pecos, Texas a few days before, and then we're up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Pecos, Texas is 110 degrees. And in Cheyenne, you know, you can see your breath in the mornings. Yeah. So I didn't know if anything had to do with that ever. Probably not. A lot of coincidence, heart attacks on horses. Right. Hmm. Well, 66, you won the Ben Johnson, and then you won the national finals. That was at Veneta, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a pretty good year. Yes, sir, it was. Yeah. I, uh, was very fortunate that year. I bought my uh, my folks had, you know, of course. Needless to say, they'd always been real good to me, and sure. And uh, so I I bought myself a Pontiac, getting rid of my pickup. And I bought myself a '67 Executive Pontiac, ordered it, and their old car, you know, new one. I'd won quite a bit, and that same year their uh, Eldon Dudley had a roping at Parrington. You roped three steers and three calves. And you paid on each one, then paid combined overall. And that fall, during Coffeeville, uh, it was the same time as Coffeeville, Kansas, Fair Rodeo. Well, I made both of them. My dad drove me back and forth. And so uh, I'd, I'd win 10000 that week at between those two Caulfield Rodeo. And uh, I won both go-arounds and average in the calf roping there and then went out there and won quite a bit. So I went back and bought him a Oldsmobile, brand-new Oldsmobile, or, uh, just to, you know. Yeah. That had to feel yeah. good. Yeah. yeah Buying did. your folks a new car. Yeah. Seriously. And I put myself through school, you know. Now, I'd, I had their credit card. Yes, sir. You know, I mean, I'm talking about gas credit card. Mm-hmm. They didn't have Visa or Master Charge. You're right. Had a but Phillips. I mean, yeah. I had their gas credit card, Phillips card, but the rest of it, and of course, you know, horse and the feed and the saddle. I'm not saying, you know, but but I paid my tuition in school and paid my room rent and everything. Of course, we did it a lot cheaper than they did nowadays, oh, yeah. you know. We had we rented a eighty acres out there, had no two story farmhouse on it for eighty dollars a month. And there was either from four to five of us lived there all the time. Who was all going to college over there when you were there? Oh, Linus Thornton, who's won the steer wrestling at uh, Cheyenne one year and roped calves and steers a little bit. He is from Dyer, Tennessee originally. Uh Sonny Air just left there. He was no calf roper from Montana. Um, 
What about Rusty Martin or Rusty Walt Garrison? Rusty Martin was there, and Walt Garrison, they'd come out to the place and rope. Joe Crow, Jr. He was a good roper, too. Sure, yeah, sure. he was there. He had... He had uh, <clears throat> I think he made the finals right here in Pahuska, yep, Joe Crow, Jr. Yeah. I saw his name he, in that. He video. was there. He, he come to school later in life. He had worked for a large ranch that developed the Brangus breed, and they sold out, and he got quite a bit of severance pay. And so he came back to school. He's going to be a vet, but he didn't wind up pursuing it. And his wife had a job there in the student union. And so uh, there was there was a lot around there. I had uh, several roommates. One, one just recently passed away. He was from Vanita, and uh, he, is a, he is a real good guy, Jerry Pigay. I knew him. Did you know Jerry? You know me and Jerry Pigay. Long, <laughs> one time I went to a silversmith engraving school down in Alpine, Texas, Johnny Wyart's engraving school. If anyone's interested in engraving, go down to Johnny's. He's the best. Well, anyway, Jerry was going down at the same time. Long story short, me and Jerry, we talked to each other, and we ended up bunking up in the same hotel room because he was from Oklahoma. I was from Oklahoma at the time, so we just got to know each other down there, and uh, I actually sold him a... Uh, uh, OSRC saddle, a hog saddle. My dad won. He, yeah, I sold him one of those. So it's a, it's a small world. It is it's a small world out there. I'll, I'll tell you how I met Jerry. The year I went to Cheyenne, I was going to start school at Stillwater, and I didn't know you had to get old, you know, prepared, get your room down there. I just, mm-hmm. just show know, up. I was rodeoing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm at Benita to rodeo and. Jerry Jerry is uh, getting ready to start his uh, master's degree. He'd already went through his bachelor's, and he's going to start his master's in dairy science. And so we get to talking there. And I, he says, where are you going to school? I said, Stillwater. He says, well, where are you going to stay at? And I said, I don't know. I'll find a place when I get down there. He could not believe that I... You know, well, that's about the same way as when I was talking to him that time. <laughs> he couldn't believe that I was that unprepared, you know. And he says, well, why don't we room together? And I said, okay. And so when I get down there, he's got the apartment and everything already. And like I said, I, I went to Pendleton and flew back, you know, and uh, drove in there. And he had everything set up. And he... He, of course, I went and enrolled. You didn't appreciate this. I, I went and enrolled. I was late, so I got every sorry class. I I was there till fr- Friday at five o'clock. You know, <laughs> every week. Everything but the classes. We were in the same class. Sounds the exact same story as when I was uh, talking to Jerry. <laughs> except uh, mine was in Alpine, Texas, on the Mexican border, and yours was in Stillwater. Well, he he married. I, I didn't get the room or nothing. Hell, he had it all ready he, for me when I got there. He married a girl from here. Okay, yeah, his son lives here yeah. in Pahuska. Right, Neil Pigay. Yeah, and uh, but anyway, he, I had him for a roommate, and then a boy named Eddie Laverty that was from Laverne, Oklahoma that uh, uh, he learned the bulldog and everything from Dwayne Haney. And if people don't know, Dwayne Haney was a great all-around hand, but just never did go very much. I've heard of him. And uh, then the other boy was Wiley Harrison, and Wiley winds up marrying Freckles Brown's daughter. And they lived 
uh, they moved in a house just below us down there on the highway. And, uh, you know, he continued to rope with us when we were staying up there. And, and uh, uh, Tommy Wayman, George Wayman's. Yeah, number one polo player yeah. ever. Probably he, the biggest guy to ever come from this area. He was going to school there. Wow. And he come out, put his polo saddle on a little horse I had, rode him around quite a little bit. And then Harvey Payne from here in Paul Huska was going to school there. Um, doggone it. I can't think of, uh, he was sheriff here for a while. Henry Bloomfield. Yeah. He was going to school. What a classic year to go there. Yeah. I mean, some of the best football players to ever live. You went with them and you were buddies with them because they were all rodeo guys. Walt Garrison. I'd go over and stay, uh, visit them in the athletic dorm. I don't know how the heck they didn't try to get you on the team. Well, they tried to, and I was too busy roping. I didn't have time to go. They tried to get me to walk on in the basketball. I played intramural basketball when I was there, and that that's like a amateur basketball to college. You just kind of made up teams that played in some other gyms. How tall are you, Kelly? Six four. I probably shrunk a little bit. They say as you get older, your I don't know your He's joints still pretty settle. Big old boy. Yeah. <laughs> You're still a pretty big old guy. I'd guess you're 6'4 easy. <laughs> but I don't Walt, think you shrunk. You know, the most amazing thing, you know, when we were going to school there, Walt and I run foot races down the arena. He wasn't all that fast. I mean, I'm not fast, right. but he wasn't all that fast. And But he, he just had dogged determination. And he was strong, you know. Well, he couldn't straighten his arms out because he had – you know, damaged his joints so bad that he couldn't straighten, you know, like in the elbow. Yeah, even then, before yeah, he went pro. Right, right. But he could rope calves pretty good. And uh, the funny story on him, we were staying at Joe Crow's. Joe Crow, not staying there, but we'd go down there and rope at Joe Crow's house. Yes, sir. And he'd built an old arena there and uh, used boat arc posts. And for those people who don't know, that's, that's a big old heavy rough post. And they always say that, you know, after 20 years, they turn to iron, you know. and uh, Very hard wood. Yeah, very hard. Anyway, Joe had bought some the Bulldogan cattle from Harry Knight that had been at Fort Worth the previous year. And he was roping them, not tying them down, but running them through. And they were like longhorns, big old heavy horns. Well, Rusty and Walt was coming down there shoot-dogging them taking them out of the chute and uh, dogging them on the ground. Well, we'd be down there roping. And so they bring the heavy uh, the heavyweight wrestler from OSU out there. And he's from New Jersey. And, I mean, he's just boxcar built. And he had him a Wrangler jeans that was up above his top of his boots about four inches. Uh-huh. And had a Levi or a Wrangler jacket on. And so they're telling him how to take his steer out of the chute. You know, he's heavyweight wrestler. So he gets a hold of this big old black steer and takes him out of the chute. Well, first thing he does, he gets his feet behind him. Uh oh. So he's just dragging this old steer's running off. Walking on him. Yeah. And takes him down, runs this old boy's head into one of them Bodark corner posts and knocks him out. And his head's bleeding a little bit. 
and Walt and them, like we all get down there and kind of clean him up. And uh, they got outlawed after that. They couldn't bring anybody to the arena anymore. I mean, from <laughs> the athletic department. Why, uh, Myron Roderick? Was yeah. that the wrestling coach back yeah, then? Yeah, I probably was. Uh, he said... <laughs> You know, he just outlawed it. Yeah, know. no more. No yeah. more going over there, boys. <laughs> my, my wrestlers aren't tough enough for you cowboys. <laughs> they got a heck of a wrestling coach over there now. Oh, they've always had. John Smith. Yeah. They've always had. I mean, that's that's one program that they've consistently been at the top at. I've had the pleasure of getting to know that guy. He's a he's not a very big guy, but very intimidating guy, old John Smith. Mm-hmm. We had a I had a chemistry teacher, or lab teacher, Mrs. Lippert, and she probably stood about 6'2", and weighed 300, and she would, all the athletic guys took her courses. She loved the athletic department. So, you know, you could take her course, and you were all right. You didn't have to worry about that one. Did you rodeo the whole time you were in college? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We went... <clears throat> College rodeo wasn't as structured as it is now. Uh-huh. There, as far as teams and everything, and and OSU's rodeo team wasn't as structured. We had a rodeo club and a team and stuff, but uh, you just kind of went on your own. Yes, you sir. Entered. We went to uh, one at Amarillo one time, and this Laverty, I was telling Eddie Laverty, uh, he could really bulldog real well and we went out there and he wins the bulldogging but he didn't have a vest <laughs> and so if you don't wear your vest it's like a no time and so he didn't we didn't know that you know i my mother had made me a vest so i had a vest and he could have wore mine but he just went ahead and bulldogged and uh you know he, he bulldogged that good they we gave went, him a no time Huh? Did they give him a no time? Yeah. Um, no time. They well, went, they you learn your lesson real fast to yeah, wear your vest yeah. at the college rodeos. When, yeah. When we you would have won it and they give you a no time. We went to Tarleton down there at Stephenville, and um, I got a picture of that one. And Randy Majors, who won the bull riding one year, he's in it. Terry Walls is in it. Johnny Edmondson's in it. Uh, Richardson. Uh, oh, you know who I'm talking about. Probably. Uh, but anyway, I mean, if you go look in there, there's there's all kinds of guys that went on and really did well in there. And we stayed at uh, a house where Billy Alvin and Bobby Hungate and a boy named Charles Bitters, you know, lived there. And they had a big goat barbecue while we was there. And all the kids after the rodeo come out there and stuff. It just, I was real fortunate in the time. You know, Pike put it to best, I think, one time. He said, you know, he said, I think we rodeoed at just the best time. I think you did, too. I think you did, too. It's the golden era of rodeo right right, right in your area, right in your era. Some of the the best. That's right when they were, you know, going away from, uh, from some of the other stuff and coming around to some real rodeo back then, Jimbo. Yeah, absolutely. To what we know it now. I mean, it, I think it was the real rodeo back then. That's yeah. what I like it. It probably was. They made real horses. They roped real cattle. Yep. You, you get to think, and I'm not, this is 
you know, there's there's some really good guys at rodeo now. But if you go back and look at it, you know, you had Clark, McIntyre, mm-hmm. Everett, mm-hmm. your your grandpa, all good people, you know. And the, and the other people that was on, and then you come along, Olin's a good guy. Sure. Sonny David. Oh, yeah. You know, there was just some really good, good, solid, you know, people you wouldn't mind keeping your children, giving them the keys to your place, whatever, you know. I remember a lot of people used to stay with a lot of people back in those days. Oh, yeah. You know, there wasn't the rigs. You didn't stay by yourself if you're in the vicinity of your house and you went from around there. Everybody knew each other, and you went and camped out at Kelly's for a couple days and and roped probably. And See, that's what, you know, like during Lenapaw or Benita or Claremore, well, uh, you know, Clark or Everett, when they quit going, well, then Sonny and, and Olin, they would be generally pulling together. Well, they'd come over and stay between when they were up on the first one and when they was up on the second one. Back then, they didn't get done like in one night. They might be two or three days mm-hmm. in. And uh, like over the 4th of July, well, you know, I remember I went over to Springdale with Olin and them. And they'd make another rodeo and they'd stay at our place. And then the same way when... Like I told you, when we go up there and stay with Sawyer's when I was with Everett, well, if you, Hyannis, Nebraska used to have a steer rope. Ogallala had one. Keystone, where Terry McGinley's from, had one. Um, we'd stay at Waldo's, Haythorn's. And, you know, you'd, you'd help them during the day, uh, whether you was putting out bulls or branding depending on what time of year you was there or whatever. And then that, Waldo had lighted arena and Sandy, like mm-hmm. Carl's. And you'd rope till you just got tired and quit of a night and then get up the next morning. They had a, a, a chuck house there, or, you know, cowboy house where you'd eat breakfast. They had a cook hired. Uh, you know, I get to looking back at it uh, after watching Yellowstone and that's a lot like where Waldo lived. He had he had a big house, wasn't like on Yellowstone, mm-hmm. but uh, had a cook shack. They cooked for everybody there. The Haythorns up there, is yeah. That who we're talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah, I can see how they could get to be Yellowstone yeah. type folks. And uh, he would get his summer help to work in the hay fields and in the shop. They would come out of the Denver. He had an employment agency in Denver. They didn't, but I mean the employment agency got him people and they got him a bus ticket and they would get a bus and get dropped off at Ogallala or uh, Arthur. And then they'd call them. I had phone number and then they'd come out there and those guys had never leave there all summer. And they were most generally just, uh, derelicts, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but they had, um, down below the hill from the big house, they had a couple of barns, and they milked their own cows. Had a herd of brown Swiss, and they milked them, their own milk, had their own chickens, uh, horses, everything. I mean, you, know, you you go looking at it, and it's a lot yeah. like. They fed horse and wagon, too, a lot of them yes, back then. Yes, for a long time. I remember time. Waldo telling uh, my dad or my grandpa one that when those four-wheel drive trucks and stuff first come out, up in that country, while a lot of people got rid of their teams, thinking they'd use them trucks, 
But then he got so bad some of those winners that they couldn't go. And Walter was sure glad he'd kept his teams. Yeah. I don't know if they still do it or not, Jimbo, but I think that they still build their hay with teams up there on the Haythorn Ranch. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Switched. They must have just just got away yeah. from that in the last few years because yeah. they they used horses for everything oh, up they there had until a, just recently. They had a thirty six. Uh, their their rakes, their rake the hay was thirty six foot buck rakes. Wow. And uh, it's you know you wonder how you get a thirty six foot buck rake through a gate. Well, their gates were eighteen foot wide. Stretch gate. Okay. And uh, I remember, <clears throat> I'd never thought about it either, but I was helping them in the shop, and we got one of those tractors finished, and so they sent me with it to go where they were haying at up there. And so I get to this 18-foot gate, and I'm going, mm, it's not going to fit. But I'd been around the oil field enough, I figured out, and I backed up to it in the center and pivoted around and backed one end of it in. When I did, the other end come around and went through the gate. What you do is just kind of pivoted around one gate post, backing it up. And the other one follows you, you know, the other outside follows you, and that's how you get through the gates. Well, Waldo had went to the shop, and he asked where the tractor was at, and they said, oh, Kelly took it to the hay field, and the, he just had visions of me tearing down all kinds of fence. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd come up there in his old Cadillac and he pulled up just a grin and he goes, how'd you know how to do that? I said, it took me a little while, you know? <laughs> Kelly, it seems like you had one of the most uh, productive careers in roping years that you, out of anybody. For a number of years put in roping, you sure won an awful lot of things, seems I'm like. Just very fortunate. Uh, and I'll attribute it to all, all to being well-mounted. I wonder if your size, have you ever attributed some of your winning to your, any of your size, been able to get, your, get down there and get your hands on the steer a step faster than most everybody else? Uh, how much did I that? Think, how much did your size help you? Do, do you think, in your opinion? Because I, I look at guys like Scott Snedeker, and man, that you know he can just get his hands on them so quick. And Guy Allen, he can get his hands on them so quick. Seems like he can take two steps to everybody's three steps. You know, well, I, I think that, and then <clears throat> being grilled in the fundamentals where you didn't go through a, you know, if you learn a bad habit. And then you got to break that bad habit and learn another habit. And then, you know, to learn the good habit. When you get under pressure, sometimes you revert back to your old. So easy to do. Yeah, but I was programmed. I'm going to use computer language. I was programmed the right way, the first way. So I never reverted back. And as far as timing is stepping over the rope, and uh, I still say that a lot of it, you know, the horses back then, when you got off of them, he was flying. Mm -hmm. And that horse can drag him to you faster than you can start and run. And, you know, I've had lots of times I'd step over the rope, your timing and stepping over the rope when the steer's coming to you. And then I'd have to, I'd string that front leg, and then I'd have to actually kind of, you know, go along a step or two 
to catch up because that horse is still going that fast. Yeah, a little he's bit. He's not dragging off, but I mean, he just it takes a minute to slow down when yeah. they're going that fast. Yeah, and you don't say whoa till he's about the head's coming to you, you know, especially if they back then those cattle you had to, they'd sure get up on you. You didn't want your horse stopping when no. your foot hit the ground. No, if you did, those steer would be coming up the rope yeah. at you, wasting you know? your money. Yes, wasting your money entering. Yeah. Well, I think you've had one of the greatest careers steer roping as anybody that I've ever known or known of. Well, um, thank you. I just, I just, I just fortunate, you know, in that uh, I had good teachers, the best, and the, some of the best horses. I'm not going to say the best, but one of the best. You know, there was a horse. Waldo had a horse. You know, of course, Jimbo's grandpa had an excellent horse. And Waldo had a horse called Poco Paul that was an own son of Poco Bueno and out of a Hancock bred mare. And that horse, not very many people got to ride him. I think Howard rode him a little bit, and I rode him at Douglas. And every time I got on him, I placed on him. And he, he was a good horse. And Nine Bar Buck was a good horse. But I was fortunate enough to you know, have those, you know, at the time of my life that I roped good. Well, that hill fly, you know, people remember that horse just as good as they remember you roping. Oh, yeah. I still hear people this day, oh, that's old hill fly right there. He'll fly this, he'll fly that. I see it all over Facebook, too. Uh, Kelly and hill fly took the best pictures probably. They did. Of anybody. Kelly always had a nice it looked like starched white shirt or light colored shirt and a good looking hat. No hill fly was real showy. Was, and then, yeah. uh, you know, there's just not too many horses. They talk about that way. There's, there's, there's a handful, right? But there's not very many. No, honestly, that they know the horse just as good as they know the rider. Charlie Throckmorton you know, still calls me a wheel fly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe one of the only ones I can think of that's close to dates. Maybe uh, Trevor and, and Texaco. You yeah. know. Trevor in Texaco is a great horse, Texaco, or or Brent Lewis and his great horse, uh, Grumpy. He's just one to remember that sticks in your mind. So there's just not too many horses out there. there T-Woman and the horse Dutch. Mm-hmm. Your fly. dad had one. Yeah, we've, we've, had a, we've been fortunate to have a couple yeah, of good steer Dutch, horses through our life. You know, because your dad, your dad cracked him out. Yeah. And the horse got to be a heck of a mount horse. You know, anybody got on him won. Yeah, he was just a good and, horse to rope on. And then that gentleman that s- sponsored T. Popeye. Him. Huh? I think his name might have been, was it Popeye? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, he bought him and mm-hmm. T rode him. That's what made him great. You he know? was a great horse. Those horses those horses are what make you great. I mean, that that you've got to have that. Yeah, I mean, I think the lady that you had on here on the barrel racing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of things she said fall right. true to any event you get mm-hmm. in. Right. You know, you got to have a good horse. I don't care, you know, in her event, maybe the horse is a little bit more than they are in roping. But Well, you, they're getting up there in the roping now, too. I heard of a steer horse the other day. $100,000, Jimbo. You know, a $100,000 steer horse. And they gave another horse in on trade plus the $100,000. Really? Yes. So uh, we're in the day and age where you know twenty-five to forty thousand dollars steer horses are common now, and Kelly, they're going all the way up to a hundred. 
Kelly, what's the difference, the biggest difference between horses back then and horses today? Steer horses. I'm going to say back, and I'm, I don't want to really run anybody's horse sure, down. Sure. But I think the horses back then had to have more heart mm-hmm. because the steers were bigger and they run harder and they had more load. And we really didn't pamper them like they do now. Right. Uh, but they lasted probably longer than the ones do now. So why is that? I think my personal opinion mm-hmm. is like old Baldy mm-hmm. and old Hill Fly. Ike had those. Mm-hmm. Well, Ike, if they weathered Ike, because he would ride one. Sure. I mean, Everett and him told me one time they pulled up there to Mason's. And when Baldy's just a four-year-old, Ike was there riding him after Lewis Brooks had broke mm-hmm. him. And I had been stopping him coming down them, and uh, Ronald's place had a lot of limestone rock on it, just like got sandstone around here. And his ankles was bleeding, back ankles, didn't have any skid boots on. But, you know, he never would quit stopping. And I think those horses were just tougher. Well, they rode them outside, I think. And, and you know, they said, oh, he'll fly when I got him. Uh, he went to Oakdale. He used to go out there. They, Those guys out there would have Everett and Ike and some of those guys come out there and head for them in those big 10-steer averages because mm-hmm. they could catch all the time. And they said Ike, when he, oh, he'll fly, was like a four- or five-year-old. When he wasn't roping, he run every steer out of the arena on he'll fly. And then that night, he sat in the trailer in front of a, their joint all night and those horses had to be able to take it and if they weathered the storm through that and still were sound they lasted longer right i think they they didn't pamper them from the cold age up Mm -hmm. you know they'd went and if they were structurally sound enough and structurally mind sound enough in their mind that they were going to make it. They were going to last. Yeah. They'd already been weeded out. Right, right. And nowadays, you know, they pamper them from the time they're on their mother mm-hmm. up till then and babied around and you only run so many and this, that, and the other. And they don't get filtered out like they did back right. then. Probably right. I think it's a combination of rushing them to the arena, not getting them properly broke before they decide to start Taking them there. I remember a steer steer horse back in the day used to take quite a long time to make. Oh yeah. And then I think they learned to protect themselves a little bit when you rode them outside and this and that. And you know that's probably why a lot of these horses cripple themselves at such an early age in their career nowadays because they wasn't not rode outside and they haven't learned how to protect themselves and they weren't properly broke before they were started in the arena. I'm I'm not sure. It's just some guesses, Kelly. Well, some of them's never. I'm going to say venture to say like you. Some of them's probably never ever run anything other than on prepared ground. Exactly. I All mean, our steer horses growing up, we day worked on them. Right. <laughs> right. And and you go out there and you run one Every on day. the grass, and you know it's like they go to slipping. Well, they learn how to shorten up and protect themselves. You know. And I and, wonder if that has anything to do with it. I think it does, and I'm going to say it's in the breeding too, because back then you had. The old foundation mm-hmm. bread, 
And those horses were, their cannon bones would be that, you know, real wide. Uh, their joints, they're set up square. And we've kind of bred uh, a little more lighter boned into them for speed and agility. Gotcha. But our, if you look at it, the roping's changed. Your, your cattle, your arena size, your score. So, you know, who's to say? I, I've always, I've had lots of people ask me about, well, who you think would be the toughest roper, you know, over the years. And I said, you can't really say because uh, the true champions learn how to win regardless of the conditions. And, you know, who's to say Glenn Franklin or Dean Oliver or Toots Mansfield, they were champions because they figured out what it took to win back then. And I think if you'd put them in this, if they come up in this environment today, roping these little calves. Oh, they'd, shorts, they'd adapt They'd quick. still win. You know, they were showed, tying those within it. a couple seconds of what they are oh, now. Yeah. Those big, big bad calves. Oh, and bad. steers both, right. too. Now, right. I've seen... 12, 11 second runs way back in the day, and the steers were twice of what they are now. Well, see, so when these Carl guys... Sawyer held the world record, and and this is according, I mean, Jimbo's historian, but this is what they, the old timers talked about when I was growing up. They roped some Hollywood cattle. The One year at Laramie, they couldn't come up with some cattle. So they, they weren't crossing any at the border. So the only cattle they could get a hold of were movie cattle that come from, you know, used in the movies out there. And I guess their old horns were so big they couldn't get them through the chutes. And they said they cut, sawed their horns yeah, off. cut about that much off both horns. Oh, they said more than that. Well, they may have, but... They said one guy took set home made his roping bench out of it. Oh, really? Yeah, they was mm. that much cut off. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still some big old horn <laughs> steers in the pictures I saw. And, they still and, were curling up. And they got screw worms. Yeah. yeah they, and you'd be running one, that old stuff coming out of the horns hit you in the face. Oh, man. Jim and, said they were probably the biggest cattle he ever roped. Yeah. They drawed them down, too. But they were big. But uh, Everett said that they was kind of they was weak. Yeah. Because yeah. they stressed so yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, I believe in that when uh, Carl tied that one in twelve something. I think it was. Yeah. And Carl tied tied one of them in twelve something. Wow. And nobody had ever heard of that before. Yeah. You know. But you was talking about hydroplane. I got to tell you, and Jimbo, uh, it was in I believe. After you were talking on one of the podcasts about they had it at uh, Clayton, then they come back and they had it somewhere, and then they took it to Laramie. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember going up there. There was one year I got to go with my folks up there, and I think either I don't remember if Clark or Everett was riding old heel fly then, but uh, it snowed up there while we were up there. And the arena was just slop. It wasn't. It wasn't very deep. It was slop. And they went to town and bought goggles, hmm. where because the mud was coming back, getting in your eyes. And them cattle, when they get down, they just hydroplane out to the side and everything. I mean, it is weird watching. Probably the most miserable, other than Clayton. Clayton, roping, but uh, but I'll, I'll go back. Oh, he'll fly. What makes me say that, you know, 
my ability to win was through him, is everybody wrote him one. Jimbo's grandpa won Veneto on him one year, and I don't think he'd ever wrote him before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah you go back and ask your dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, I didn't even know that. I, he won Veneto two I, years in a row, I know. I don't remember. Probably 62. The reason why, but there was some reason. Yeah. That, well, he was kind of a foot to anyway, Jim was. Well, you know, I mean, I was of, trying to think about, you know, why he didn't ride his own horse. Yeah. You know, but, he, he, and then uh, Clark won off of him. Everett won. Uh, like I say, everybody. Uh, John Poe. John Poe. He made the finals one year, and he'd leased O'Roney out to Don McLaughlin. And he'd went up to Cheyenne. He'd reserved a seat on him at Cheyenne. And he won enough money, he made the finals. So he come over to my folks' house. I remember this. And, and him and his wife. Bernie. And they come in and sit down. And he said, well, Earl, he said, I've made the finals, but I don't have nothing to ride. He says, I was wondering if you'd let me ride old hill fly. And Everett wasn't riding him at that time. And he goes, yeah. So they just loaded up and went in one one rig and went up there. And John won. One second, I think. Yeah. At Douglas. Douglas yeah. Coleman. And, uh, you know, he'd never, no practice runs or nothing. Just got on him. And I know people asked uh, Sonny Davis, he was at the house one mm-hmm. time, run a few steers on him. And he, asked, he says, like shooting fish in a barrel. Huh. Yeah. What would Sonny Davis tie these cattle in today? Oh. <sighs> It'd just be hard to say. Joe said he didn't know, but he'd be faster than anybody else. <laughs> You're going to have to give me just a second, guys. Keep going with him, Jimmy. Okay. But he was kind of a hero of mine. He yeah. he could be just as fast as, you know, he, there's no inhibitions in him. Right. He just, right. he was going as hard as It didn't as matter if he was sitting in the 22nd no. in the lead. It was all the same deal, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I he was like I say, he, I had to watch Sonny there when I was a kid, you know. I, I was going to watch him. You know, and, and I rode several of his horses yeah. at home uh-huh. in the practice pen and stuff. Right. Boy, they easy to rope off of. Were they? Yes. I mean, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, his calf horses were a little quick. Yeah. I mean, you, you better have – you better be ready. Mm-hmm. But his steer horses were just as nice to rope off of as you could ride. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that's why I probably, uh, you know, Jim Bob and all them always tried to ride. You know, he had that yellow horse. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one year, Jim Bob and Olin and Sonny was traveling together, and they went up north. And uh, Jim Bob had Omiko, had a real hard-stopping little bay horse, mm-hmm. belonged to Bud Smith. And... Uh, uh, they was talking. It's funny sitting over there alongside of the track, and they said, "We always want Olin to ride him first, ride him first, because he always drives them up there." Yeah, you know, and and he'd always make them, you know, get in the right spot every time. And then they could come, kind of make a rodeo run on them behind him. I always thought Olin was the best roper I ever saw rope. He's a perfectionist. Yeah, he if if he was around Olin, uh, he always had the best ropes. And he made them himself. He didn't buy them. You know, that was back mm-hmm. when you went and bought off the coil, like right. you talked mm-hmm. about before. But uh, he always had the best ropes. He would, him and Sonny were meticulous braiders, and they would braid that nylon into head stalls and tie downs and everything. 
his saddles were always just cleaned and oiled and and just like he dressed mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he just dressed like he'd come out of a barber shop yeah and uh Olin was just a perfectionist and his horses were the same way yeah. he won the national final seven times cody four in cab roping three in steer roping i have a piece of braided stuff that Olin made and a piece of of braided stuff from the old nylon ropes that Sonny made that they give to my grandpa because uh-huh. he uh, he was a big time braider with that too. Okay, right up until his death. But they, you know, when when they'd come and stay with us during those rodeos, uh, they'd come out there and feed their horses of a morning, and then they'd be around their trailer, and that's what they were doing. They would braid that nylon or clean their saddles or oil them or get their ropes out. Powder them down, stretch them, maybe take gunny sack and work them down, mm-hmm. and just you know the, they were that was tools of the trade, and they were taking care of them all the time. Serious business. Yes, and that was the thing they, you know, you didn't have all the sponsorship back then. You know, basically your sponsors was either your wife at home that had a job was working. Yep, mine did. That's my sponsor. <laughs> Boy, I loved it when she got her tax. I never got a tax return before I right. got married to Lauren, and then uh, she got a tax return, and boy, how did we rodeoed for yeah. about 45 days real strong until <laughs> that tax return ran out. And, and uh, you take, you know, uh, you, it's either, in my situation, is my parents, you know. Uh, Every now and then an old gambler, you know, had a little money, like to, like to, uh, enter a guy for half which yeah. means you know you know you, you split the money after after the the fees it, basically yeah, taken out mm-hmm. yeah but and carl sawyer who took a liking to joe carl didn't have any boys had a girl yeah carlita mm-hmm. and uh, he joe was like his son to him and you know he took a liking to him went to enter him and everything and and you Everybody had somebody like that, but they didn't have these, you know, shirts with six or eight sponsors on them. And I remember the first guys wearing those, you know, couldn't believe it. And then they started adding more and more and more and more to them. Now they're whole, uh, they look like a NASCAR driver. It's, it's good to see, though. It's good to see it's a professional sport, and I'm glad to see that. People's wanting to put their money. Back. Yeah, wanting to wanting to back you just like a NASCAR driver or something. I mean, they deck their trailers out and they deck these guys out and they put a they put someone's sponsor logo anywhere they can, anywhere they can I, fit one. I was at the timed event one year and Charlie Crawford was there and I believe he was heading for Trevor that particular year. And I looked over at Charlie. Now I didn't know him, and I guarantee you, he his whole you couldn't see the material on his shirt. For the sponsors, and I said, you know, you're going to have to get bigger to add more sponsors on you, you know. And he just kind of looked at me, you know, <laughs> gave me one of those looks. But uh, yeah, it, and I, I didn't know who he was, you know. But he, they're going to start wearing a cape or something, put some more sponsors on there. Yeah. <laughs> get them on your back. Yeah, the uh, team ropers got to start wearing shaps. Get some sponsors embroidered right. on them shaps. I don't know. But I mean, you you see them now. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you, for instance, like this calf roper that was 16th in the world this last year that wound up gotten to make the finals. He got his whole front of his shirt covered and sponsors, you know, and his rigs decked out and everything, and he's sitting 16th. Yep. You know, so that tells you 
uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'd sponsor Trevor, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad these guys are finally getting some uh, enough notoriety to get some help going down the road. It's good to see. It's definitely good to see, I think. Kelly, you had one of the greatest rodeo careers of anybody. Rodeoed with all the best, learned from the best. What made you to switch gears? What made you switch gears well, to be a judge, rodeo judge? There was a, a gap in between there. but You were the gold standard of rodeo judges at the time reason you retired. I quit, I quit roping and rodeo. And, you know, in pursuing it down the road all the time was that uh, my dad got killed in an accident. And it left my, he had a little construction, just a mom and pop construction business. And uh, my mother didn't have anybody, and so I was running it with her. And last year I made the finals in 74. Well, I remember went to Pendleton and wound up making the finals. They were having them believe at Laramie that year. And so we just come back from Pendleton. I was traveling with Walter Arnold. In fact, Walter made me a, a deal with Vanita. He'd hit me up, and he said, uh, why don't we go up in the Northwest? And I said, I don't have the money, Walter. And he goes, uh, well, I'll enter you for half, or I'll loan you the money, and you pay me back. And I said, well, I'll... I'll go f- and I pay you back. And he said, okay. So I took off and went up there. And I wound up making the finals. I wasn't sitting anywhere close then, but I wound up placed enough up there, Walla Walla and Lewiston and them. And uh, <clears throat> I remember staying there. You know, we had to stay there at Laramie. And I'd call home. My mother was calling, and she was – didn't have anybody to run the equipment and this, that, and the other. And that works on you, you know, that you're not home where you're supposed to be. So after that, I just quit, you know, just come back home and would go to amateur rodeos and stuff, maybe some jackpots stuff. And then, then kind of rocked along like that. And then <clears throat> I told my wife, Dixie, I said, you know, Maybe I can judge a little bit. So I went to like five judging seminars because I didn't really feel confident in my rough stock scoring. And like I told you before, I'd been in contests competing to where you had rough stock judges that had no clue about the timed events. And I didn't want to be guilty of the same crime of me being judging the rough stock and not having a clue. So I, n- I never would put in for any rodeos. And a boy called me from, that uh, was coaching at Alva, Jimmy Henson, bulldogger from down around Beggs. And he wanted me to come out there at Alva and judge that rodeo. He, he knew that I'd went to that many seminars. So I went out there and I judged Alva, college rodeo. And then uh, a gentleman that was coach at uh, K-State, Manhattan, he called me. He wanted me to come up there and judge that. So I went up there and 
judged that one. I judged some college rodeos long. And in the early nine, well, it was in 90, buddy, he, uh, Lytle, who was one of the best judges at that time. I think, well, in my opinion, before you came along, he was the gold standard in, in flagging. I mean, and in my era, growing up anyway. He told me, he said, uh, you need to put in for some more. I said, no. I said, I don't want to be guilty of, you know, I named off some judges that, uh, they didn't know what they were doing in the timed event. And I said, I don't want to be guilty of that, you know, in the rough stock event. He goes, oh, you know. And he kept trying to talk me into it. And then, like I told you, I went to, through the Elks Rodeo. We went to the finals in Vegas. And um, Jack Hannum, who was pro supervisor of the judging program, he saw me at Cowboy Christmas. Well, he stops me and hits me up for it. And then he called me that next year, wanted me to go to Yukon, Oklahoma, to judge a rodeo. And so I, he talked me into it, and I went to it. And then I finally decided to start putting in for some. And I never did. You know, I still kept a full-time job. You don't quit your day job for to go judge rodeos. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. So I just, you know, that's how I got to judging. You judged all the big ones that I can think of. Timed event. Yeah. When did uh, you start judging that timed event championship? At the Lazy Year. Long and they started in 86, didn't they, Jimbo? I'm somewhere right in there. I'm not sure. Maybe 84. I, I just okay. can't remember. But uh, I competed in the first one. Uh, that's kind of a story in itself. Uh, A.G. Myers called me, and that was a guy that managed the arena. The yeah, end. what about the first one? Tell us about – just tell us about that first one, then we'll get to the judging of it. Okay, well, he, he called me, and he said, uh, Kelly, he said, we're having this timed event contest. He said um, – you bulldogged any? I said, yeah, you know, I've, I've jumped at some. And uh, he said, well, Rocky Garnett said that we ought to call you and we're looking for somebody to enter. And so uh, I said, well, I don't know. He said, we'll pay your fees, you know. I didn't know what it cost. And uh, so I... I get together. I got a calf horse, got a steer horse. Uh, my brother-in-law had a, a horse that he'd bought from Charlie Noble. And uh, I wound up, he took, he took, he was going to heal for me. That's how prepared we were. Mm-hmm. You know, Rod Hardness, he was going to be my healer at the time to be in <laughs> contest. <laughs> and so we get down there and, and uh, I'm a wreck in the bulldogging. I mean, you know, it it was terrible. I, it's just a wonder I even walked out of there. <laughs> but you, in like two days, you run five head. And I mean, it is a marathon. And uh, I wound up riding old Jess, heading off him, because the horse I took wasn't near ready. And uh, I think Joel healed for me. Really? Wound up, Maker. Yeah. They had him there healing. And uh, uh, Red Dolphin, 
I rode his bulldog and horse, and it it was it was wrecked. You know, I made some good runs in the calf roping, in the steer roping, but the other events weren't very good. I saw a video of that first one, and it seemed like there was an awful lot of steer ropers in it. Then, yeah, I saw Sean Birch, He got in a wreck about every time he bulldogged a steer. It looked like Mike Beers used to just break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. <laughs> and and uh, about like uh, Roy Cooper, he'd do the same thing, you know. But uh, it's funny. A lot of people don't know Kenny Call, and them was kind of what instant, you know, started that. They sitting around with. He had Gaylord and talking about things and Kenny Call come up with this deal that, hey, it'd be a neat deal to have all the events and one guy in them, you know. And and so Ed said, well, let's just do it. And that's how it got started. Kenny Call, world champion steer roper and uh, turn actor. He lives out in California now. Yeah. Well, that's something. I didn't know that's how it got started. <clears throat> that's how Kenny it got Call started. and Ed just sitting around and uh, – Come up with the first of its kind timed event championship right. of the world. Now I think it pays a hundred thousand dollars to win it. Yes, it or something does. Like it it yeah. did pay fifty it's for a, a two, long time. It's a two hundred thousand dollar deal, and it pays a hundred thousand to win it. it. Used to pay fifty, and they doubled. You know, it's a serious deal. There's a there's a couple of guys that used to get ready for that thing year round, and that's oh, about yeah. the only place they went, except for some other places to tune up <laughs> for the timed event. <laughs> so, uh, but it's uh, then. They needed, uh, I'm trying to think, Buddy Buddy flagged it that year. I can't remember who was with him on the line. One year, Bill Harlan was. Uh, but Buddy flagged it on, and then Buddy hit me up a year or so after that. He says, you're not going to enter anymore? And I said, no. And he said, well, what about judging it? And so I went down there and judged it with him, you know, until he passed away. And then uh, while we were down there one year, he said, uh, Cheyenne Committee's going to come talk to you. And so they came, and and uh, we visited up there at the, where the cantina's at, and they wanted me to – that's when Buddy – he knew he had cancer, but he wasn't telling anybody. Okay. And so he knew he wasn't going to be able to go to Cheyenne and stand all that. So he was trying to help him get a replacement – and so they hit me up about, you know, taking that contract out there. And so I I come back, figured, you know, I'd, I had the full-time job here. I'd have to take off two weeks to go out there and, and everything. And so, and take, take your own horses. And so I shot them a price, and it was more than what they – wanted to pay so i didn't go you've seen a lot of historic things happen i'm gonna ask you about what it was like to watch trevor brazil at his first timed event as a young man it was good i'd watched him you know back when he was just a kid jimmy was roping Mm -hmm. and he was like all them kids back behind the contestants grandstand as i am you know uh I remember when Mac Altizer was roping a box out there. And, you know, just Trevor was the next generation that come up after that. All them kids would be out there, and they'd have a box. Or later on, they had a set A little roping dummy. Yeah, or a little roping dummy. And Trevor you know, out-roped us when he was a kid, even. All <laughs> of us. All of us kids roping you know, dummy you, with you him. You had uh, Justin Patterson. 
he was here and when I was just going with Everett and we'd be up there and at Cheyenne and Ben was entered and, and Justin and Joanne was running around there and, and Justin he's ornery when he's a little kid. Still is. Yeah. But I mean, uh he'd be pestering me. I was older, you know, he'd be pestering me and so I'd reach and rope him and he'd run off and fall down the gravel and he'd get up, say some choice words to me and everything. And we still tease each other about that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was telling you about Frank Braden, uh, Barry and, and Lee Davis and all of them uh, grew up, you know, Jim. Jim Davis. They, they was running around there, their camp and everything, and I'd pick on them. You know, like the older kid picks on the little kids. And just been around them all my life like that. It's funny, you get to see, like, you, you take the Braden family, for instance. <clears throat> well, even the Davis. You, I've seen Merle and then Jim and now Bryce. You know, that's that's Jim's boy. And on the Braden side, well, Frank and I roped together. And in fact, you know, f- we roped quite a bit together. And um, uh, he had a boy named Colt and Barry. No, Barry. Ed Barry, and then Barry had a boy named Colt. And That's now, Bucky's boy, Colt. Yeah. Okay, Bucky. Yeah. And then Tanner mm-hmm. is, you know. Bucky's. Is, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's you You really know you're getting old when you see that many generations come up. That Tanner Braden, he's one of the best healers in the nation. Yeah. Narrowly missed the finals two years ago. Yeah. Almost made it. Took it down to the last week of rodeo season, almost made the national finals. That's really doing something yeah. anymore to make the national Especially finals. In that event today, in the uh, team roping or it's the calf roping, probably one of roping. the most competitive events. You know, well, watching some of the team ropers nowadays, it don't even look like it's real life. It's happening so fast. You know, I don't. Some of the headers, I don't even see them get their arm up before they throw it. You they know, throw it Chad, so far, too. Chad you know, Masters. You know, you know, that's the difference now. I can't. I don't know how they rope them. Throwing like that. Well, and the, their timing is so mm-hmm. great. I mean, the way they've got it now. Excuse me. The way they've got it now, the healers, uh, they've got it timed to when they're at the spot when that steer hits, you know, at the end of it, and quits the sideward movement, you know, where he's legal to rope. Mm-hmm. They've got it. I how mean, fast? Did, how how hard did it get to judge these healers here? Tough. On the crossfire rules. Oh, tough. I got booed the worst I ever got booed. It might have been worse maybe sitting next to somebody, but, I mean, as far as in the arena at the timed event one year, and always uh, um, oh, in the top four or five every year, healing. Okay. Um, Lockett? No. Bobby uh, Harris? No. I'm trying to think some time to Later, get guys Right here. now. He's, oh, right he's now. He's roping now. Anyway, he entered the timed event. And he kind of, you know, not had a good year. and I mean, a good time Rodeo. event and everything else. And so they were making a run. See, they for those people who don't know, uh, fastest time each, each performance is 3,500 in particular event. And so they're making a run. He's got an uh, Alan Box son heading for him. 
and he heads his steer, and he comes in to heal him, and they're going to win fastest time. Well, I get blocked out. My fault. And he throws his loop. Well, when he threw his loop, I still saw the hips of the steer move to the side. Mm-hmm. So I flag him out for a crossfire. And you talk about getting booed. No, I got booed. And he rode back up, very gentleman about it. He says, I didn't crossfire. And I said, I can only judge what I see. And I said, I'm not doubting your word. But I said, what I had to work with, it looked like you did. And so I went back, and they had the scoreboard with the video. Video. I went back after everybody was gone, I think maybe the next day, and asked uh, that guy if I could watch it. He goes, yeah. He pulled it up. And I watched it four or five times in slow motion and regular time. And they said, what do you think? And I said, you could flip a coin. It was that close, you know. And they were, their camera was down the arena where you had full visual side of it. And the way the rule reads is the steer's got a sideward movement of his back end. What they don't want you is roping him when he's swinging into it. Okay. And <clears throat> it's when the when you throw your rope, when the loop leaves your hand. And that that was the defining moment. You couldn't tell, you know, even from that side. And that's why I've always argued since then that the flagger needs to be down there because you can actually see the head loop coming at you. That's a lot better than trying to judge it from behind, whether he's got a good catch or not. And then if you watch it on TV, whether you're watching the American or uh, the finals or anywhere, those cameras are all situated from down the arena looking back. Well, you can see everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're sitting back up here, there's too many things that can block your vision. So, Or they're shooting the camera angle from the best angle to watch the roping. Right. Makes sense. Right. Right. Totally makes sense, Kelly. But uh, I've, I've suggested it several times, but they won't change it. Well, be darned, they ought to. Hey, everyone, listen to Kelly right there. Put your flaggers towards <laughs> the end of the arena back there so they can see the but whole But they'd run. be in the way of the camera then, so you can't have that. Yeah, you're probably right. That might be part of it. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Hey, Kelly, what's the uh, what's the best bronc ride you ever saw judging? Does anything stick out in your mind Mortenson, big time? Mortensen. He's from Montana. Dan Mortensen, mm-hmm. world champion. Dan. And he rode a horse at Springdale one year. And George... Uh, Old-time rodeo judge. Okay. Still is. Yes, sir. Uh, anyway, he and I was judging it, and Mortensen rode this horse of uh, Harper Morgan, and that horse really bucked. I mean, got high as the moon, and this he never missed a lick and was from in front of the shoulders to the back and beat him back every time. That was probably one of the best completed bronc rides. Now, that horse wasn't 
degree of difficulty wasn't that great other than his height and his kick and his drop. But uh, he didn't have that much change of direction. But uh, he it was just a picture-perfect ride, you know, picture-perfect ride, and the horse really got up there. You know, he was the type of horse you could really show on. But that was probably one of the best best bronc rides. But there's, I'll tell you what, uh, watching this on TV now and everything, there's so many of them boys that can ride, especially these, you know, of course, everybody knows the rights right now, Ryder and the rest of them. That's unbelievable what yes, that family's doing. But they, uh, there's a lot of them boys, them horses throw everything at them. I mean, you know, those horses are getting like the bulls. They're, they have bred them up to where. They all buck, don't they? Yes. I mean, and they're double rank. Yep. Yep. They'll come out there and change directions four or five times and maybe do it right out of the chute. And that's probably the hardest to ride, you know, as far as degree of difficulty in the ride. And then they go to bucking, you know, really kicking over their head and a lot of drop. What what really, <clears throat> from the bronc riders, I, I'm not a bronc rider, but I'd always visit with them a lot. And what really gets them is the drop. And that's where, for those people that don't know, that that's where the – the horse, when he kicks up behind, it automatically makes his front end drop. And the higher he kicks over his head, and when that pivot point, when he, he reaches the extension, his front end's not on the ground yet. And, I mean, it's just like you just drop that saddle out from under you. You know, it's like the elevator dropping. And to stay in that saddle up under it and... They use a lot of the rain on that to pull them down, keep them down in that saddle. But it's a fine, it's a fine touch that you don't, you know, get jerked down over the front, but yet you're using it to hold you down in there. And those horses, uh, you know, the drop is the hardest. That'll that'll get more guys. And same way in the bull riding, the drop will get them, you know. And then a horse that's got a lot of stride, you know. One that kind of bucks in the same spot, and I think you've rode some at Buck, and I'm sure Jimbo has. Uh, if he's kind of just jumping down the same spot, he's not that all hard to ride. But if he's jumping up and then going out from under you in a long stride, he'll throw you to the back and get your arm stretched out, and then you're in trouble. You know. What about uh, have you ever been judging a rodeo? I'm just hypothetical, something right here. This is just something crazy. You ever been judging a rodeo? Just say they started off with a section of bull ride, and the other judge gets mucked out, and you're only down to one judge. Anything like that ever happened to you? You mean like the judge gets hurt or something? Something happens to the judge. Yeah. Bareback horse runs over him, right. you know, standing against the no, shooter. I, I had that. It wasn't at a large rodeo, but uh, Mound City, Kansas. What do you do? Luckily, Bronk Rumford was stock contractor. Okay. And Bronk's been around, and he's rode, he's rode bareback horses when he was competing. He's bulldogged, he's rolled. Besides, he's done it all. Yes. I grew up by besides, Bronk Rumford. Besides being in the stock contracting mm-hmm. business. And I knew him when he was a kid. So I, I drafted him. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, he said, well, can I do it a horseback? And I said, yeah, you can stay on your horse. You just mark them as long as you 
stay on your horse for everybody. And uh, had a guy on the ground, he, he'd give him his score, you know, and he'd write it down for him. Okay. But that, that was one, one place I did. So when I, after the rodeo, I called Jack. I told him, I said, well, whoever it was with me, I said, he, he hurt his leg and he is out. I said, I drafted Bronk. He goes, how'd he do? I said, pretty good. You ought to try to hire him. <laughs> he ought to do pretty good. Yeah. He, he ought to be a real good rodeo judge. He ought to be a real good one. What's the worst? Uh, what did you got? The thing that it would scare me about being a judge is the bull riding. Being out there for a mean bull. What do you do? Do you just jump on the fence to get out of his way? Or yeah, you stay push close someone to else the in the way, or you stay close to the fence. Okay, and uh, you know, I tell you, the scariest part is some of those arenas that the wall. Well, like lazy. Okay, you yeah, know, you yeah. got an eight foot cement wall. There's no climbing that very easy. No, and Baton Rouge, they said, was worse. You know, and uh, th- those are the ones that really kind of spook you but you you go have them get a a gate or a panel and have them tie it up to that wall so you got something to climb up okay you got to be thinking about it yeah ahead of time yeah you get all that done before you you know first gate cracks uh, you got to learn from someone else's mistake that it happened to one time. Right. But now that you th- now that you say that, there are a lot of indoor arenas I see uh, that have that panel up there against yes. them cement walls for people like to scramble up. I guess that's what it's for. I see it I a judged, lot of different places. I judged college finals at a Casper, and it was that way. And uh, saddle bronc riding, there's four judges. I mean, just like at the finals, you got two down close, and then up the arena ways. And uh, I was farther out arena, and the saddle bronc horse come up around, and I move over. You know, you learn to read them. You move over, guy. Wait, well, he hones in on me just like horse run the steer, and here he comes. You know, and I'm so I turn. I'm trying to run, get out of his way, and and I look over my shoulder, and I I see him. He's kind of over my left shoulder. So I said, I'm going to cut to the right real quick. Kind of make, you know, like you would on bullfighter passes on a bull. And when I did, that, the arena dirt was little pebbles, little hard pebbles. Well, it rolled out. I went flat down on my belly. And I go, oh, here he comes. You know, and I just, you just kind of hunker up and hope he don't step right in the middle of you, you know. Well, he just grazed me with one of his feet. And when I get up, bronc riders laying right next to me. <laughs> he bucked him off right about the same time. Mm. He jumped over me, <laughs> and I looked up there, and and uh, Reno, uh, the judge on the other side, was Marshall Juma. Oh yeah, I, I know Marshall. And Marshall's over there, and he's having to hold his hand over his face to keep from showing that he's laughing at me, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you get you get in a lot of those spots. You try to. You try to figure out what you need before uh, Weatherford College Rodeo in uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It's got steel up so far. It's off the ground about a foot. Okay. But it's better than four foot to the top 
I mean, the rest of it, it's the oil field tank steel that they've went and made that fence out of. And on the other side, it's chain link fence. There's just not a lot of places, you know, mm-hmm. to go. Well, we found a, a garage sale that day. And I found a ladder like you used to hang on an old ski boat mm-hmm. that got the hooks mm-hmm. on it. So I go down there and I put it on my fence. And Gip's over there, Alan, and he's on the chain link fence side. Well, <clears throat> I had to go up mine several times. And Benny Butler, Butler and Son, has a stock there. They generally bring green bulls and four-year-old horses to that college rodeo. And they wind up having to drag every bull out because they're hot, wanting to fight. And I had to climb up my ski boat ladder several times. And uh, Gip, he ran over and he wound up having to try to get in dog and box. And the old bull come by and hooked him, knocked him on over and busted his lip stuff when he went over. But I mean, yeah, it's that's why I quit judging after... Uh, you know, a year or so ago, it got to where you were worried more about protecting yourself than you were watching the ride. And that's when you need to quit. So that's when you finally retired judging yeah. after 30 years, about a yeah. year ago. Yeah. You you just, you know, when it gets to where you're not concentrating entirely on the event, you're, you're worried about, well, where am I going to go here, you know. They said, you need, in all fairness to the contestant, you need to quit. Well, I guess you knew when to step down. I bet you can still judge a rodeo pretty good. Oh, I'm sure you could. (laughs) You dodge those bulls. Yeah. You're a little more fleet-footed than you're I would carry that little ladder, though, with me to all the rodeos. Just keep that in the trunk. I just tell them I got to watch it from the other side of the panel. Right. See, at Mesquite, uh, they actually got a little pockets. And a gate there that you could go get in. You know, it their walls about five foot tall, and then you know iron rails above it. And I will give Neil and them credit; they they fixed the spot. And then uh, one year, funny deal. One year is down there, and they had a camera pit set up. This is after Stacy bought it, Smith. And uh, they had a camera in it. And it kind of come out from the arena, just about enough to cover the camera. And uh, Skip Emmett was judging with me. Well, he gets on this flag horse they got, and old Gray just takes a bit and runs off. And they end the bulldogging. And uh, he just flagged him as he went by. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's trying to pull old Gray up. And old Gray, like, knocked him off on the camera pit. Ooh. I mean, he rugged his leg from again. The only thing stopped him was the bucking shoots at the other end. He went through five, five flag horses, that performance. Wow. Well, when you don't bring your own, who knows what they're going to put you on, <laughs> That's you know? Right. Probably. That's right. Probably. They, <laughs> they could be an old bucking horse that quit right, bucking. Who right. knows? There's no telling. There's no telling. Well, the Wendy Ryan, Wendy Ryan roping. Yes, sir. You flagged that for a number of years. Yeah, about 18 or 20. The calf roping, the team roping, and the steer roping. Did you do the flagging and all of it? Not the team roping. Not the team roping. 
What made that roping a little bit different than the rest? It's a large pen, real wide. Yeah, I mean, really, it just kind of goes out and just shoots her a touch to the right, but not very much, you know, pretty much center. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's long enough, I mean, you know, that you got to go with those, kind of like what you talked about, Paul Huska, the cattle's running. Yes, sir. Um, but, and I think it's cowboy country. The people putting it on when they started it, there's really good folks. And I mean, you know, and it was a social event at that time. You could go down there when they first started, moved it into Saginaw mm-hmm. and started having it there. The ladies would be dressed just up, you know, just. It's like the Fort Worth, Kentucky Derby almost. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's like the Fort Worth, Kentucky Derby. It's just uh, just a big to-do down there. And Walt had his pitcher, uh, washer pitching contest. Yeah. And, you know, everybody come down there, they're just there to have a good time. I always used to like the bulldogging they got together, that yeah. bulldogging match there. Yeah, they, they used did. to match the current world champion versus the average winner of the national finals, bulldogging at the Wendy Ryan, steer roping. I remember Todd Fox and Oak Berry several yeah. times. That was a yeah. always a good, good matchup right there. And all those people down there, I'm going to say the majority of them, they like a nice, friendly wager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got the box seats along there on the east side that always had the who's who mm-hmm. of the Fort Worth and Dallas Society Circle and Cowboy, you know, championship circle down there. And um, most of those people putting it on knew, knew rodeo, new stock, always had good stock. You know, calves. Uh, it's just a good event. You know, good place to have it too. Yes, it was. That's coming up real place. quick. Memorial. That's yep. this month. That's this month. Yep. It's in May. Whether this plays in May or not, we're not sure. Everyone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to check out the Wendy Ryan, it's always Memorial Week. Memorial Weekend. It's always a They've big. They've got to where now that that team roping is just phenomenal. I mean, uh, they just come in there you can't it's like it's like you drive over that hill when you first get to where you can see it and you think you want to go buy stock in alcoa aluminum you know because i mean all the aluminum trailers just cover that whole area and uh, uh it's it's just always been great and then you know you can go from there and go to even back then go to Cowtown. Okay. And well, yeah. Cadillac Bar and Billy Bob's and, you know, and everywhere. And it was just, you know, it was a fun deal. I always remember going with my family. That was the one time, every now and then, not every year, but we'd go to Six Flags if we were there yeah. like a day earlier or something. Did you stay at Sam Piper Inn? Uh, I think we there might have. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. I believe so we did. Sam yeah, Piper Inn. that's where Inn. we used to. It was uh, there at the Love Airport. Yeah, well, uh, 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 Rod Pratt's son dunked me under the water there. I remember that in the pool. It was a, it wasn't really a, about six. A, a chain motel, mm-hmm. but it was there at the airport and it was built, had an internal uh, motel, uh, swimming hole mm-hmm. with it and everything and had a nice place to eat. 
stuff. And I remember your folks there. Yeah, there was a lot of a uh, lot of ropers stayed there. All the there. ropers stayed there. <laughs> we ran yeah. into Kenny Rogers there that one time. Really, I remember staying there. Yeah, yep. <laughs> out of all the people, ran right into Kenny Rogers, the gambler himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, I got another question for you. Yeah, what do you think about instant replay in rodeo, like at the national finals where they have multiple camera angles or or something like that? What do you think? Do you think, think, they, you you know, think it should be allowed, or do you think they shouldn't do it? I don't even know what the stance is on it right now. I just know that they can do it. There's the possibility. The technology's there. Oh, the technology's there. Has been for several years. Uh, in all fairness to the contestants, because the money's got, you know, it's not just a championship anymore. I mean, the money's got. I What's mean, a serious, serious thing serious now? Serious stuff. You know, for a cowboy, maybe not for an NBA player or an NFL player, but, I mean, for a cowboy, it's right. serious money. Right. Well, it's never been bigger. And uh, I think in all fairness, well, if I was competing, I'd want it. Okay? Okay. If I was competing, I'd want it. Because um, I have watched and seen too many bad calls cost. Uh, well, there's human error. Yeah. There always will human. be. Just not, like an NBA basketball coach or a none referee. It's intentional. Yes. Okay. It's just uh, for that guy blinked at that time or he got a piece of dirt in his eye or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think you should be able to, um, even if you wanted to challenge on some rough stock rides, have them go back and have it reviewed. You know, I feel like I, they could probably I, I get a good mark out ruling and stuff like that, yes. especially at the NFR yeah. and some places. Th- those, you know, the American mm-hmm. NFR, some of those places, it's really a, you know, championship determining ride. Life changing money. Yeah, yeah life changing money. Uh, I think, in all fairness to the, and it, and it'd take a lot of pressure off the judges, you know, and because everybody, you know, it's like I've told people, I said, everybody's going to make a mistake. You, you know, I told a little gal one time at a college rodeo, I messed up on the breakaway. Um, Gip and I was at Fort Hayes and this girl roped a breakaway calf and he was in a left turn. You sat down the arena well, when he turned left, I never did get seized left front foot or nothing. I just roped it and break away, and away it went, and I flagged her. Well, the calf goes up and comes around, shoots. When he comes back down by me, he's got his left front foot in the loop. Well, it's a good while, and I, you know, I can't flag her out now because you don't know when he actually got that foot in there. Could have been when they were trying to take the rope off at the it's, back it's end and it got deals, a little bit big. That's what I would argue. Deals, you just got to eat it, yeah. you know. And so uh, Jeff Miller, sister, Jeff, I'd known, judged him through college. He yeah. lives at I Mount, went to high school rodeos with him okay, in Kansas. Blue Mount, grew up with him. Blue Mount, Jeff Miller. Kansas. Yeah, small, small world, world yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, same era, same exact years I went right, to high school rodeo. Right. His sister was a uh, breakaway director for that region. Okay. Well, she comes down the fence, 
you know, I'm sitting right along the fence on my horse. She comes down the fence and comes, climbs right up next to me, and she goes, that girl had left front foot in that loop. I said, he had it when he come by me. She goes, no, he had it in it. And I said, I missed it. And she goes, well, he had left front foot in it. And I said, I missed it. And she just kept looking at me, and I said, do you practice a lot, you know, rope and breakaway? And she goes, yeah. And I said, uh, do you ever miss any? And she goes, well, yeah, I missed some. I said, I missed that one. And then she just climbed down the fence. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, you're asking of a judge to never make a mistake. But yet you're going home and competing Practicing every day, maybe rowing in 10, 15, 20, 30 a day. You know, I used to rope 100 steers a day at home when I was a kid. Breakaway. Uh, and then a guy comes cold turkey and he's not supposed to ever miss, you know, make a mistake. Uh, that's an awful lot to ask of somebody. I can't think of too many mistakes I've ever seen him make if any right i don't like arguing with the flag judge <laughs> no nope. it don't serve you well in future flaggings i don't think no probably not it can't they've got a memory just like everybody else they do they're people just like everybody right. else you know, I've you know what you as a judge you got to accept the fact the only thing you can hope is when you make a mistake it doesn't cost somebody Exactly. I mean, you're going to make them, but you just hope it's not in a time or, or a situation that it costs a guy from winning something. Or if it gives something to somebody and it costs the four or five guys below him, wherever, a, a place, you know, or the fourth place guy from not placing it all. That, that's your hope as a judge, you know. You hate to cost anybody anything because uh right you know a lot of these folks are feeding their family with this you're not actively gonna try to cost anybody with anything i i know that you got as much integrity as anybody i've ever met in my life so thank you well jimbo you got anything else for kelly over here well just like to thank him for coming in for sure but uh i hope everybody watching this appreciates and enjoys the history as much as we do here at the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. I mean, there are not too many people walking around today that can give you a first-hand account of roping in the practice pen with Everett Shaw or turning goats out for Ike Rude. So some of what we talked about today we've got on record, and it'll be there for future generations, I hope. And we just really appreciate it. He's seen Trevor Brazil come up. Yeah. He's seen everybody come up. Right. Yeah, he, he's a kind of a link between the the old Everett Shaw and that bunch, and, and then he's seen all these hot shots now. So it's he, he's, he's seen a lot for sure. Well, Kelly, I know you've been giving us nothing but advice this whole time, I feel like. You just ended with some good one a minute ago for all the – all the people, but uh, do you have anything else for any of these up-and-comers? 
I wanted to ask you about, you know, integrity. Integrity. I mean, it's going to follow you all your life. Um, that's, you know, comes right down to it. Uh, they can, my banker told me that one time. Uh, I went to him and told him that uh, he gave me some good advice, but I was bullheaded and didn't follow it. And, you know, and uh, I appreciated what he, you know, told me back when I should have listened. And uh, he said, well, he said one thing about it. He said, they can never take your integrity away from you, you know. And he said, as long as you got that, you don't have to worry. And I, I think that's, there's a lot to that. Uh, my dad told me something one time. Uh, like I told you, he grew up poor, and he told me, he says, don't ever turn down the opportunity to learn something because you never know when it'll make a difference whether you eat or not, you know. And, you know, whether you can get a job. Yes, sir. And so I think <clears throat> all of that kind of rings together. And... Uh, you know, it's how you treat other people. I mean, they might not agree with you sometimes, but if you try to treat them with respect and say, hey, I might have messed up, but, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, it's like I told a guy one time. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> one guy from right here, I said, don't ever deny that you made a mistake. He goes, oh, you wouldn't want to admit it. I said, no. I said, <clears throat> If they get to where they can't trust your word, then they won't trust anything that you do in the arena. You know, you've, you've got to be honest about it. If you think you didn't do a good job, you need to say it. You know, and then they, they'll accept that. I mean, because those guys that's rodeoed and competed, <clears throat> they know it's just like I told that little girl. You know, you're going to mess up sometimes. Uh, there's guys that's pro officials that's messed up, but they still have the respect of contestants because they admitted later, yeah, I, you know, you go up to them and tell them, you know, hey, I made a mistake. I told a, <clears throat> excuse me, a judge one time at Mesquite, and this guy was trying to, he, he was going to set the world on fire judging, and, uh, he missed a guy in the bulldogging. Big guy. Terry, no, oh, he's way bigger than me. Terry, uh, I can't remember his last name now. But he he missed the flag in the bulldogging. And the guy come back and asked me, said, what about that? I said, you missed it? He goes, no, I didn't. I said, yeah, you did. And he denied it to them and everything. And I told him a little sermon I just told you later on. And so the next night, he went to that guy at Mesquite and told him, he said, hey, I'm sorry. He said, I found out I I messed up. And Terry shook his hand, told him, he says, well, you're man enough to come back and tell me. He said, you'll do all right. You know, and so they respect that. I mean, you know, everybody's going to have a, a downtime. You know, it's like one time I'm at the Windy Ryan, and, uh, oh, he healed for tea, and then 
uh, Bobby? No, maybe not for T Speed. Rick. Yeah, Rich. Rick. Yeah, he Skelton. did hill for T Woman also. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, Rick was Rich Skelton steers at the Wendy Ryan, and uh, I was sitting over on the west side. And there's big gusts of wind, as you know, sometimes in blow pretty good there. And I blinked. And I knew I, you know, blinked. And because I got some dust in my eyes. Well, Rick trips his steer, or I think he tripped his steer, because <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah. Okay. And he's down, he makes his run, he ties him, and I flag him. And I noticed he kept looking at me. You know, like guilty look, you know, and I thought he didn't have his trip, you know, but I didn't see it. So you can't flag what you didn't see. And so he told me later, he said, I didn't have my trip. I said, I kind of figured that, but I said I couldn't flag you out because I didn't see it, you know. And, you know, they'll come up and tell you sometimes. Oh, yeah. Like that. The good guys do. The yeah. good guys. Yeah, they'll, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And they know you didn't miss it on purpose, for sure. Yeah. And just like that that boy I was telling you at the uh, timed event that I missed, you know, according mm-hmm. to all the spectators, I missed his flag. Uh, he comes back the next round, wins the fastest steer, wins his money back. And I thought, you know, good Lord took care of that. You know, I messed up, but he went ahead and let him win. This next one, he got his money back and got to go home. He remembered the three or four bad calls he made. Right. Out of 30 years. We've heard about you, you these same bad calls. You remember those. Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like it's like anything else. Uh, the best lessons in life or roping is when you make a mistake and you know you did and you're not going to do it again. And that's the same way. And I didn't tell you about ever – Mistake or flag I missed, just about, you know, because they stick in your mind. And you, the best you lessons are life lessons sometimes. You know, I think I think uh, the lady that you had in the barrel race talking about breaking the run down into segments, that that holds true in everything. Uh, if you're sitting and watching flagging, and like you're saying, the team roping gets so fast nowadays that it's kind of like if you're just sitting there in a gaze just watching it, it goes in a blur, and it's all done, you go, hmm, what did he do? You know. But if you mentally come out and go, okay, he's coming out, he roped the horns, he's quit his sideward movement, he's legal now, There's, he's stretched, he's faced, ropes on the horn, I mean, all of that's in 3.6 seconds. But if you break those steps down like that and concentrate on each step, it's no problem. And I tell you where it really rings true is like I flagged a lot out here at the Roan Horse when Paul had it going. And I've sat in the saddle for 12 hours. And I guarantee you at the end of that, you're kind of getting, you're tired. And you've got to do that to maintain your concentration. If you don't, you'll kind of doze off or blink off and you'll miss something. But if you make it to where you're concentrating on every step, every time, it keeps your attention to it. 
Thanks, Kelly. You bet. I appreciate you for coming here today. Thank you so much. You know, everybody, if you want to learn a little more about Kelly, we got some great exhibits to him in here from his roping career. We got the great pitcher we've talked about. We got some of his memorabilia from flagging. And, you know, when I think about Kelly, Jimbo, I think of some of the some of the great boxing referees that that got to decide a world championship. You know, that's not very many people. And he's kind of in the same league as some of the greatest boxing referees or football referees, things like that, that's ever lived. And, um, you know, he's been a part of so many iconic rodeo championships. You know, he's flagged for a world championship. There's very few people that's done that. He's roped for a world championship. There's very few people that gets to do that. That's right. This guy's a real special man. And I'm proud to know you, Kelly. And I, we, we really, really appreciate you coming in here. And well, we'd love to have you any time in here, actually. Yeah. Anytime you want to come in and sit in with someone else, we'd love to have you. Yeah. So everybody get over here to the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum right here in Pahuska, and we'll see you next week right here on Cowboys of the Osage. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Oh, we could have talked to Kelly another four or five hours.